You're listening to Astroscope, astrology podcast by Mark Lerner and Great Bear Enterprises. This podcast is sponsored by Buzzword Consulting and Forfame.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome to our podcast number 40 in a series of podcasts which began in the spring of 2019. The last five podcasts have been concerning the coronavirus. On our Great Bear Enterprises website are a whole bunch of charts. If you listen to this podcast somewhere else, and there are a whole bunch of other places where the podcasts occur, please visit www.greatbearenterprises.com. And there in the Mark Learner Astrology Astroscope section, you will see a list from one pretty much to 40 of the different podcasts. And there's often charts and sometimes images. And that way you can coordinate anything you've already listened or will be listening to the actual charts, which are important. But those charts are not necessarily appearing on Apple and some Spotify, wherever the the various places that this podcast goes to. This is going to be a bit of a, it's exhilarating to do this, and it's also uh, scary to do what I'm about to do. The last podcast was almost a week ago. And if anyone has been reading or listening, I should say, the, the last five podcasts and tuning into these ideas, whether you're a professional astrologer or a beginner or you don't know that much about it, then you know these are very long. When I first began thinking about doing podcasts, I was advised, keep them short, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, maybe a half an hour, don't do anything long. Well, that was before the coronavirus. That was before the Mueller report. And that was before I started looking into so many things that I never thought I'd ever look into. So um, let me give you an example of what's on my desk right now. And this has never happened before. And after this podcast, I'm not planning to do it in the same way. I am not a person who um, typically likes to have post-it notes all over the place. But right now, in orange, pink, green, what other colors? Uh, There's another color here. I have been writing notes since last week every day and i've talked about a great app called smart news one word i should say one phrase together smart and news you should all look into getting it i've recommended it of course there are a lot of different news apps all over the place dozens of them smart news has left right center national international cosmic whatever you want science music art you can do a, there's a whole thing on the coronavirus. You can choose different kinds of magazines and different forums and areas of life and add them to the Spark News. I have shared with many of you that I come from the same borough in Queens as Donald Trump and not far from where he was born. And I am not an enormous supporter of the president of the United States. Now, I'm not an enormous supporter of many of the presidents of the United States and the mistakes that Democrats have made, as well as Republicans. And we all have our different views. But now it does feel like we're all beyond politics. So please keep an open mind. 
regardless of your political stands or social stands and educational stands. Astrology, at this point, we hear the phrases right now and they're coming every day, both from Washington, D.C. at the daily press conferences and from the different news channels that we're in this battle and that um, the medical workers, the doctors, the nurses, the staff of various clinics and so on are, in a sense, the, the soldiers uh, carrying on this war. And in many ways, that's true. I want to say a word for the professional astrologers, not just myself, but all professional astrologers are always on the front lines. So while we do know that the medical workers bless their souls that they're doing all this, and as I've shared before, I come from a medical family. My dad and my uncle were both doctors. They were general practitioners. One served in the Pacific during World War II. One served in Europe. Fortunately, they came home. Otherwise, I wouldn't be alive. And I also have cousins who are doctors. And when I got into astrology, one of the first things I did, I've shared this before, was to study medical astrology. And it goes back thousands of years in so many different cultures. And as I've also shared, the, the great magazine we were able to put out, Pioneering Astrology Magazine, Welcome to Planet Earth, with so many great astrologers for 20 years in print around the world in the 1980s and 90s. We had people like Dr. Ingrid Neyman and others. Um, in fact, most of us who did write, and I was the publisher and the editor, would often venture into our own areas, whether it was holistic healing or alternative medicine. So even though we did have a person like Dr. Ingrid Neyman and others who were more strongly in the field of medicine, um, many of us were reporting on that. But that magazine is no longer in existence. But very often, recently in some of these podcasts, I've, I've gone back to share about Vesta or share about Pallas Athena. And um, we're going to be doing that as well in a number of the future podcasts to go back in time. 25 years ago, 30 years ago, almost even 40 years ago, um, when we started Welcome to Planet Earth back in 1981. So we're almost at 40 years. We're at 39 years since that whole began. So what I want to do here is um, the main purpose for tonight, and by the way, tonight is March 30th. I'm coming to you from Oregon. Scorpio is rising. Uh, one of the things that's fascinating is that the moon is about to parallel Venus and Venus is going to come up very strongly. And one of the main books that I wrote, it's actually the main book I wrote and self-published back in 1986 is called Mysteries of Venus. Uh, I printed 2000 copies on my own and through Welcome to Planet Earth and at various conferences, particularly right after it was published in 1986, I sold all those copies, so I don't have any more. I, maybe at some point I might republish it in a new way after all this is hopefully over with or our planet and humanity has changed and hopefully we've all evolved through this crisis of the pandemic. Um, nevertheless, I will actually um, refer to it tonight and I have not referred to Mysteries of Venus in a very long time. It has to do with a particular person and. Uh, an idea that just came to me in the last half an hour of something that might be helpful for many people as they are at home. So here's what's going to happen. The reason for this particular Podcast 6, and by the way, I will continue with this coronavirus. There are many other things, very exciting um, insights that I've had in the last week. M many more revelatory moments than I've had in many years. 
So it's a kind of a crescendo. And there are reasons, there are certain alignments that I'm having in my own birth chart that are opening doors of higher consciousness for me. Uh, as many of you know, I have sh shared about Lucis Trust, uh, being a member of the Arcane School, Lucis Publishing Company, the Tibetan Master DK, the Alice Bailey teachings, uh, which were which happened after um, what's called the Theosophical Society, if you know what that is, and which was born in 1875, and people like Helena Blavatsky, uh, Alice Bailey sort of picked up um, the connection to this Tibetan Master DK. There's over two dozen incredible books. If you go to lucistrust.org, L-U-C-I-S-T-R-U-S-T.org, free pamphlets, amazing ideas, metaphysical, spiritual ideas and concepts about the seven rays, about everything, about the history of the planet, humanity, higher teachers, devas, angels. I mean, the list just goes on and on, including esoteric astrology. And uh, another thing to give a plug about, I'm glad I remembered, is esoteric healing, which I, I've mentioned before. Uh, for doctors, for people into holistic areas, as we'll, we'll get back into Chiron, which was one of the discovery charts that I gave last time. Um, Chiron has a lot to do with what's called the wounded healer concept, but also um, keys that open doors to higher consciousness, shamans and mentors and alternative medicine and so many other wonderful themes. So we're going to get into back into Chiron, which... Um, I just wanted to mention lucistrust.org again, and as many of you know, um, I also was happy to be an, um, a former member of Findhorn and the Findhorn Foundation, which is still going strong in Northern Scotland, and which had its birth in November of 1962, when Eileen Caddy, Peter Caddy, and Dorothy McLean, who just passed away at Findhorn, and I think she was 100, I know she was at least 100, and that was um, a major passing just in the last month. Um, not necessarily from the coronavirus, but she lived a good long life. And so those years allowed me to have uh, a kind of group dynamic. I was able at one point to be what was called the focalizer of a kitchen at what's called the Clooney Hill Hotel. It's an old hotel that became part of the community around the time I got there in 1976. I had different jobs there and at one point um, was able to be this vocalizer, not because I was uh, the best chef or anything like that, but it, it taught me a lot about working with a group and group consciousness and every everyone doing his or her part in order to make a great meal three times a day, serving 150 people in that case. So I've had very varied backgrounds in doing all this. And as I've mentioned before, um, and I'll once in a while in the future try and show you the articles, a couple of articles that I wrote 50 years ago when I was a student at Michigan State University at the time of President Nixon and the war in Vietnam and the incursions into Cambodia and Laos and student revolutions of the 19, late six, 1960s. That's when I was a student there when Robert Kennedy was murdered and Martin Luther King was murdered and we had this whole very, very challenging time period. It's not considered as on the on the height of when Pre President Kennedy was assassinated or 911 and what we have now, but it was certainly a time of great turmoil, particularly in the United States. But it wasn't just here. It ha happened in France, too. This is 1968. So um, 
that's when I was writing for several years. And so it was almost like another life for me now. So what we want to do tonight is continue because I never got a chance in the last podcast to actually look at more seriously the three discovery charts for Chiron from November 1 of 1977, the discovery of Sedna, November 14 of 2003, and the discovery of Eris 11 months later on January 5 of 2005. I put those in there and I discussed some of the keynotes, which we'll refine at this point. In the last podcast and connected to it were two other charts. There was the progressed chart, what's called the secondary progressed chart for the United States from July 4th of 1776. And the progressions, I'll get into that in a moment. So I gave the progressed chart there because, and this is very important, Last year, when I started the podcast, the United States progressed sun by secondary progression. There are different progression systems. I've articulated that before, but this is the main one that most astrologers have used. It's called secondary progressions for hundreds of years, and it works with great accuracy when you know what you're doing, and particularly as long as you have an accurate birth time. If you have an accurate birth time, or at least a very approximate birth time, Progressions will work wonders. They're different than transits. Transits are today, tomorrow, you look in the sky, an astrologer, or if you do it yourself, you can do a bi-wheel, you can look, oh, here are all the planets, Sun, Moon, Mercury, Venus, asteroids, Chiron, whatever. This is where they are in the sky. Here's where they are when I'm born. The astrologer, then if you go to an astrologer or you order one of the reports in our astrology shop, we've got 15 of them, and we recommend various ones like Skylog and Timeline and life progressions, the sky within and others. And you can, you can see samples before you ever order anything of famous people. So that's important, but each one of us, every day of our lives, there are different transits in comparison to the natal chart, which is fundamentally fixed at the moment of our birth. Transits are what most people think about when they go to an astrologer, you start studying what's happening to me, what's, what's going on in my chart over the next several months. But progressions are a deeper, slower, more gradual movement going back to the month, day, and year of your birth and moving forward where each day after you're born is a year of time. And this secondary progress system, again, when you know a birth time, can be extraordinary. And I've worked with this, and I had to do these charts by hand. Now we have software. Now, as I explained before, I would sit, if I was going to do a session for somebody, in 1973, when I really started, I started in 1972 in New York City, spent a whole year of kind of advanced, almost like self-graduate work, accumulating books, memorizing things, going back and forth in my mind, beginning to go to conferences at a wonderful place called the National Council for Geocosmic Research, which still exists. That was in New York City, going to fantastic bookstores. Um, Samuel Weiser and some other ones in New York and accumulating a vast library and learning from many different teachers. As I pointed out before on our website is now the digital version of the School of Planetary Studies, 36 one-hour classes in MP3 format along with lesson notes and charts to learn at home at your own pace, learning from through me all these great astrologers who taught me and who were fantastic astrologers in the 20th century, in the 19th century, a whole variety of people. So I feel very fortunate in being able to have done all this for a long time. But in the old days, as I would say, when I first started doing 
readings. And um, I, I laugh about it because I think I mentioned maybe last time or not, the first time I ever offered readings was through the Village Voice. I don't know if they still exist anymore, but it was it was a wonderful newspaper uh, in sort of focused in lower Manhattan. And I remember I put an ad in $35 uh, and for $35, as I was learning, now my prices, they're not sky high. I've always kept prices reasonably low compared to astrologers living in New York or San Francisco because I've lived the last 35 years in Oregon. And so I always price things a little bit differently. But, but imagine a professional astrologer. I only had a year experience, so I didn't want to charge too much, but I had learned a whole lot. For $35, I put an ad in the Village Voice. And then what I would do is I would hand draw. It would take me hours, a couple of hours. Imagine now we can pr print out a chart in like two minutes. And it doesn't mean you know everything, you still have to study it. But as I would do the charts in what was called using a table of houses and using an ephemeris and having to do logarithms and statistics and things like that, make sure you knew where the sun was exactly and what sign, what, what degrees of the zodiac, what house it would be in and all the different planets and draw them in. And that process was a big education. It, it was during the process of doing the natal chart, but also then doing the progress chart, what I'm calling the secondary progressions. So, and then I would share with people, I often went on a subway and I would share with them for several hours. And it gave me this great experience. And in those days, $35 was more valuable than we would think of it now. I mean, it, was, it wasn't a lot of money, but it wasn't nothing. And I was just doing it to get an education. And um, that was how I started with everything. But that's way before software and the kind of going online and getting a printout or going to an astrologer. And now the reports that you might order from, from my service on Great Bear Enterprises in the shop, those reports are attached to emails. We don't send any reports by on paper anymore. It's too costly. It's too. Uh, it would take several days. So instead, now that we have email, uh, people can order, and within 24 to 48 hours, um, the reports are sent out, and you have it relatively quickly. So it's an amazing evolution in terms of astrology. So the reason I brought all this up was astrologers are always on the front lines. Not that they're more important than medical people at this point. When I say front lines, I mean time, the time in the future in front of us. So professional astro astrologers throughout history and now with software and knowing more about asteroids and Chiron and the nodes and planets like Sedna and Eris and Chiron, and we keep adding these different tools, our ability as professional astrologers, everyone who does really well and knows what they're doing and works with progressions of various kinds, they don't have to all use secondary progressions like I do a lot. There are people who have used I mentioned before, Noel Teal, bless his soul, great astrologer uh, to so many people, uh, passed away recently. Um, he did a whole study in one of the, the champions of solar arc progressions, where you can move every single planet and asteroid and anything in the chart by the distance that the progressed sun mo has moved in your life. So if you're 50 years old and the sun has moved approximately 50 degrees, then you move everything 50 degrees. And he was a big proponent of that. And then there are other uh, progress systems, minor progressions, tertiary progressions, which I'll mention later. 
And I, I was fortunate to have a lec uh, listen to a lecture by Robert Hand. Many of you may know who Bob Hand, Robert Hand is, who wrote books like Planets in Transit and Planets in Composite. And he's a fantastic astrologer. I was fortunate enough to listen to a whole um, lecture of his in um, every year. There's a NORWAC conference up in the state of Washington. I don't know if it'll happen this year, and I, I assume they've been having them recently. But maybe 20 some odd years ago, I heard him give a lecture on tertiary progressions, uh, which are different than the secondary progressions of each day after birth is equal to a year of life. Tertiary progressions are more based on the lunar motion of 27 days. And it's a whole other system. And it's really fascinating. And I wrote a whole piece in what was called our biggest magazine, the Special Moon Edition. I have it right here. We did it in the fall of 1996. And I might put this on a uh, on one of these podcast images so you can see what it looked like. It was the biggest edition we ever had. Everybody wrote something about the moon. It's a, a fantastic um, gold mine, really, or I should call it a silver mine because silver is more connected to the moon, of our great astrologers who are writing for us. And uh, I wish I had a whole bunch of issues to that people could you know buy at this point. And at one point, I did have a whole bunch of them. But at this point, I can only refer back to it or possibly periodically read from certain articles that I particularly wrote. But I just turned to a page here, and uh, this is pretty amazing synchronicity. I've been mentioning Dr. Ingrid Naiman. I hope I have her pronounced her correctly. And she wrote in, this, in our Moon magazine 24 years ago now, yeah, 24 years ago, an article called Lunar Herbs. And then I didn't see this, but she... She actually did this, which was really cool. This article is dedicated to Mark Lerner uh, in appreciation of his many years of dedicated service and loving sponsorship of the special issue on the moon. That was really nice of her to do. Uh, at any rate, I asked everybody to write something about the moon. And I'm only, I just happened to turn to this. Otherwise, I'd mention every single wonderful um, astrologer and writer who contributed to this magazine um, from 24 years ago. So um, the, other, the other thing about the progress chart from last time was there was also a bi-wheel chart. So very often astrologers will have a bi-wheel or even a tri-wheel. The natal chart is, is a chart. It's powerful. It's when you're born. Sun, moon, planets, rising sign, the 12 houses, the alignments between everything in the chart. Professional astrologers are giving you their best understanding and maybe the more astrologers you go to, the more books that you read, you'll see different nuances and understanding because every professional astrologer has his or her background of what they studied and their specialties. So it is good to go, you know, widely uh, reading and studying or going to different astrologers if you are a student or if you're thinking of getting into it. There's just so many different great astrologers from the past and who are living now who can help people. And all of these people are also on the front lines, and we've always been, astrologers historically, are looking into the future and making their best educated, I wouldn't say guesses, but understanding cycles of planets and whatever was known at any given point to look at new moons and full moons and eclipses, particularly for what we call mundane or earth astrologers, or looking at different transits and progressions or movements for the individual if they were doing a more personal consultation. So the other um, chart that was given last time, aside from the three discovery charts, 
aside from the progressed U.S. chart for this time period of March of 2020, um, was a buy wheel. So we were comparing the United States secondary progressions to the natal chart for the United States from July 4th of 1776. And, and that buy wheel was able to show um, where these three progressed influences at this time period, the United States progressed sun in the middle of Pisces, the United States progressed Pallas Athena in the middle of Pisces, and both the natal and the progressed Sedna from uh, 19, uh, 1776 and to now. And so they're all clustered together. And as I've said before, the first 17 podcasts that I did last year, which focused a lot on the Mueller report and all the nuances of national intelligence and hacking and the judicial system, that was all USA progressed sun by secondary progression and the USA pals Athena by secondary progression. They came together. That was the beginning of these podcasts because it had never happened before in 200 and almost 44 years of our history, and it won't happen again for 400 years. And like clockwork, if you go back to those 17 podcasts about Pallas Athena and the Sun, there were extraordinary things happening with Mueller and um, Washington, D.C., and you'll see if you go through there are all these charts. So I'm not going to repeat that at this point. But then, as I said last time, the scene shifted. And I knew it was shifting, but I didn't want to talk about it until we got to January, February, March of this year. I knew not only last year, but for the last few years of this thing. And the article I mentioned last time, it's still in our Earth Aquarius News section of the current website. In the lead position is Iris on Sedna in Donald Trump's chart at the inauguration in 2017. And as I explained then, and before we get into all these post-it notes and all these charts for this time, this is so crucial. This, this I wrote about it three years ago. I didn't know that we would get to this thing with the coronavirus. But what happened, again, so that you're clear, I do suggest everybody listen to at least the last five of these before you're listening to this. If you happen to be listening to this, okay, and then go back to the other ones and look at the charts. And then look at this article in our Earth Aquarius News section with a chart of Donald Trump, with a chart of the inauguration and how he's connected to it. Because what I discovered, and oddly enough, I only discovered it because I was taking my beloved to a pain doctor. And it was at that time that I suddenly looked at this bywheel chart and I thought something is weird. Why is Iris exactly on Donald Trump's Sedna? And what I realized was in 1946, when our president was born, what happened was, is that there is a certain position of Sedna at that point. And these are faraway planets. Sedna really has 11,000 year orbit, but currently it's sort of moving toward what we call its perihelion, its closest approach to the sun. It's a faraway planet. Again, it was discovered in November, uh, November 2003. The chart is there from last time. And at the same time, Eris was then discovered 11, 11 months later, and it was given, it was put into all our ephemerides rather than Sedna. It turned out that Sedna didn't have a moon and Eris did, and that made uh, Eris even more important to the astronomers who discovered Eris. In addition, Eris turned out to be bigger than Sedna. So Sedna sort of 
um, was exciting for a while, but when Eris came in and then the astronomers over, they were meeting in the Czech Republic uh, in 2006, and they're the ones who, as some of you may remember, that's already now 14 years ago, they demoted Pluto and made it a dwarf planet, quote unquote, but they increased the stature of Ceres, the first of the asteroids discovered January 1 of 1801, and instead of considering Ceres as an asteroid, which it is, it's, it's in the main place of the asteroid belt of thousands of, of bodies, that, and we know the first four were discovered in between 1801 and 1807. I've shared a lot about pretty much all of them in these podcasts, Ceres, Pals, Athena, Juno, and Vesta. But the thing is, they, they increased the stature of Ceres to being a dwarf planet. And again, this is kind of the weird science, the scientists, like they can't allow Pluto to really be a planet. They made all these new rules of why Pluto wasn't really a planet. And now a lot of the astronomers are saying, you know what, maybe we will make Pluto a planet again. But the interesting thing that people don't know is many of those astronomers left the convention and what I heard was that only a small group were remaining when they made the vote to demote Pluto and to bring up Ceres. So it wasn't like every single person there, every astronomer voted. Some of them left. At least that's the report I heard. Maybe that's erroneous. I hope not. But nevertheless, they made that decision. But that doesn't mean that these planets like Sedna is just as important as Eros. But the thing is, in the main ephemer ephemerides, the hundred-year ephemeris of Neil Mickelson, which is kind of the the Bible, shall we say, of of astrology to have all the planetary positions. We find that Eris is listed in a little box um, for each month. Sedna's not in there, and in that little box is the we'll get into this later. Is the mean node, what's called the mean node of the moon, which always goes retrograde about three minutes of arc. It has a lot to do with fate and destiny. The nodes, the little horseshoe-looking symbols. That are in everybody's chart. So there's a mean node, but there's also a true node, and the true node is actually listed, and that's a, um, a sort of research project that was conducted by Robert Hand again, and he was very close with the producers of the ephemerides, and that's another story for another time. There are two nodes, and they're very close, but the true node that Robert Hand researched, which is in the main node that you'll see, is not the main node that I use. I use the mean node, and in fact, the truth is years later, Robert Hand said he was getting better results with the mean node. He went back to kind of working with the mean node after he had uh, discovered the science of the true node. So there's two nodes, they are close together, but the mean node always goes retrograde. It doesn't ever go forward, it doesn't station. And you'll see if you go through the true nodes and the ephemerides, they don't always go backwards. Sometimes they go a little bit forwards. So that was a work by um, to sort of add a scientific element to the nodes which go back. There's a whole history of the nodes. They're, they were often called the dragon's head and the dragon's tail. The north node was related more to Jupiter, which was more auspicious. The south node was related more to Saturn. So the north node was considered more hope and where you're going in the future. The south node is more of the past and things that like you've that are part of your instincts. So many books have been written about the nodes. But what a lot of people don't know at this point, I mean, some the most astrologers who work with the ephemerides and are into it on a scientific level will know what I'm saying here uh, about the difference between the true node and the mean node. And many, perhaps many professional astrologers will work with both of them. But I know that um, actually Robert Hand 
wrote at one point that after after uh, discovering the true node and having that accepted, if you get a hundred year ephemeris going from 2000 to 2100, which means it has the next 80 years in the ephemeris, it's only about $27, but it's an incredible uh, work. I mean, from top to bottom. But the point is you'll see two nodes in there, the true node and the mean node has gotten relegated to a sort of a secondary uh, position relative to nodal understanding, which I think is very unfortunate my, myself, knowing the background. Okay, so having said all of that, where we're going to go eventually, but not yet. Okay, so this, again, think of this as kind of, I don't know how many of you have ever read Dostoevsky. He's one of my favorite authors. Um, the Brothers Karamazov, Crime and Punishment, The Idiot, uh, The Gambler, but he also wrote something called Notes from the Underground. And I came up with this guy. I'm laughing because if you could see my, I should take a picture of this. There's like 30 post-it notes here. And each one is a valuable piece of information or is valuable enough at watching different news programs, working with the smart, uh, smart news app. And by the way, let me just say this. There, there are some people who have written in saying, Mark, you're, it's so unfair the way you, you analyze the president of the United States. You know, these are people who are mostly conservative. And I've said before in these podcasts, look, if you're wearing a MAGA hat and you don't want to hear anything negative about President Trump, then probably this isn't for you. But if you want to have an open mind, because I, I feel that I have an independent view about these things. So to give you an idea about that, of why I say that, I have downloaded several Fox News stories and I not only I look at the titles in Smart News and if it's Fox News, which is very partial usually to President Trump, I don't ignore it. I open up no matter what it is, if it looks like an interesting title. So I'm not sure at this point, um, I've stopped trying to read you titles. I did that at one point and there's just too many stories. Otherwise, I would use the second part of this podcast to read these selections and there would be a couple of them from Fox News. Well, sometimes Fox News hits the nail on the head. It has nothing to do with the president of the United States or how the overall station or the management, you know, kowtows toward him. It is not a station I watch. But if there's something significant that comes out of Fox News, then I will, I will particularly take a good look at it. And some of the stories are very interesting. So I'm not close to that at all. Um, I want to get as many different viewpoints and varieties of views um, as I can. So I just wanted to say that at this point. So where are we going to go? We will eventually get, I will not end this reading until I go into a little bit more depth about discovery charts of these three very important, crucial planetary energies. Now, I do want to say something just in the last 24 hours. I was alerted to the fact that there is an asteroid Wuhan based on that city in China. And just so you know, there are astrologers, some of whom I know very well, and they use way beyond the first four main asteroids that I tend to focus on, and they are all significant. The problem is there are thousands of them. Now, they are meaningful, and I think anyone tuning into, um, I, I read about this asteroid Wuhan, and where it's positioned and what it's doing this year into next year is significant. However, 
Uh, I just wanted everyone to know that I'm aware of it. Okay, I will look into it. I read, I've already read about it, and I think it's meaningful. So I don't want to disparage any of the astrologers working with it at all. Every as Rob Hand again, I've quoted him before. Usually I quote other astrologers, um, but for some reason he's popping up. Uh, maybe because he's a sun sign Sagittarius. I hope I can say that. And I'm listening to Governor Cuomo a lot every day. A lot of people are. And he's a sun sign Sagittarius. So maybe that's it. And I know Rob Hand um, was born and lives in the East and New England area. And um, every day, um, Governor Cuomo from Albany, New York, a town I know very well. Uh, my dad and I used to drive up there every couple of years. Um, he would, there was a dealership having to do with cars and he would get he was a person who leased cars and he he and i would drive up uh, i have two older sisters but i guess it was because i was the only son in the family he would take me and it was like a three and a half hour ride up there and um it was an experience and that's where um the the governor talks from albany new york the capital of the of new york state which by the way i said before and at some point i might do the uh, the whole state chart but um the sun sign um, for New York State when it entered the Union. That's how we find state charts. I've mentioned before, wherever you're living, you are connected to the state chart, the sun, the moon, the planets of the, of the, of the state you're living in. And each, uh, each state has a chart based on when it entered the Union, when the President of the United States in particular, after the 13 colonies, uh, would there would be a new state that would come in, another state, and the President of the United States had to sign papers that basically authorized the existence of that territory becoming a state within the United States. So just like the birth of a person or starting a job or getting married, having a baby, taking an oath of office, um, when the, when um, a state comes into being, like uh, Alaska and Hawaii did in 1959, 1960, the last two states to come into the United States, there's a chart for every state. And sometimes people are compatible with that with that state, if you do a compatibility analysis between your chart and the states, and sometimes you're, there's incompatibility and sometimes it's in between. But this is also a fascinating area. Okay, so um, let's, let's just do this. Um, what I'm adding this time, I'm adding for this uh, Podcast 40, another discovery chart, and I'll explain why later, the discovery of Uranus, okay, on March 13, 1781, a chart that I have studied for 35 years now. I mean, way before even Chiron was discovered in 1977. Um, I was already working with the discovery chart of Uranus, and there's a reason for that, but at any rate, I don't want to get into all of that. But I did want to put it out there. So we have three interesting charts this time, and I probably won't be able to talk a whole lot about them because I have to get into the other discovery charts and I need to go through all these post-it notes and a few other things for these keynotes of what's happening in all of our lives. Okay, so discovery of Uranus chart you'll see with this podcast 40. There's also a progress chart for the United States, again, secondary progressions for April of next year. April of next year, 2021. Why? Because Pallas Athena by progression and Sedna by progression will come into a conjunction. And so, as I've shared before, Pallas Athena has a lot to do with intelligence and knowledge and wisdom 
and intelligence gathering and protecting things like justice and our voting rights and so many other things that Pallas Athena has to do with. Uh, seeing patterns in particular, people who are great chess masters and uh, people who work well with numbers and mathematics and things like that, engineering, engineers and engineering. Pallas Athena also, uh, as I've read from the source, Eleanor Bach, who brought us the first at asteroid ephemeris in 1973 in New York, and who was one of the great teachers for me, and who also wrote for Welcome to Planet Earth, um, isolated the fact that Pallas Athena has a lot to do with, the D with DNA, with the genetic code, with immunology. And this is very powerful. And that's why I've said before, and I will say it again now because of the, the pandemic. I am not, I don't like advertising. I don't like marketing. I never liked it. I still don't like it. However, people need to get into their asteroids, the four main ones in particular, particularly if you're going to get into the, if you're going to learn about Wuhan as an asteroid and some of these other unusual asteroids, because there are thousands of them. And if you're going to get into all that, then you need to have a solid knowledge of where the four main asteroids and Chiron, which is not an asteroid, it's considered more of what's called a centaur body. Many of those um, are further out. They're further out from the asteroid belt between Mars and Jupiter. And they're kind of a different group, and they've got the name Centaurs, and there's a whole bunch of them, like Pholos and Chiriklo, to just name two, and there's others. But uh, Chiron was the first one, it's the main one, and so you, we have a report, it's called, um, it's called either the Asteroid Report, or depending on the title in our own website, and in the astrology shop under reports, it's called Four Asteroids and Chiron. It doesn't tell you anything about where they are now. It will give you your chart though, and it will give you the information of where the four main asteroids were by sign and by house and their major alignments as well as Chiron. So you would have a bedrock of foundation if you get a report like that. If you don't, if anybody's listening to this and you don't know where the four main asteroids are or you're hazy about it and you want to know more, plus there's an, um, an intro for each asteroid as well as Chiron, about its, its keynotes and some of its mythology. So it's a really a tour de force. It's not that expensive, and it's a great way to learn about those parts of your chart. I mean, most beginners in astrology will learn quickly. Sun, Moon, Mercury, Venus, Mars, Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, Neptune, and Pluto, and things like that, what the rising sign is, the houses, and some of the main alignments, like planets being opposite that's called an opposition or polarity or planets being square and that's 90 degrees and what that means fundamentally. And there are different levels of meaning depending on astrologers and how we look at things or the trines of 120 degrees that are usually considered more harmonious and flowing as well as what are called sextiles, 60 degrees. And then there's a whole bunch of minor aspects, 72 degrees, 51 degrees, 45 degrees, 135 degrees apart of the different uh, celestial bodies. But again, this is at least a, an emphasis on, um, and again, to listen to the podcast, the first 17 that I did were all about Pallas Athena by progression in the United States chart, along with the sun. And then other um, parts of the podcast I've talked about, Vesta and um, Juno and Ceres, all the, all the asteroids. So you want to learn about that. And now, um, as we have done before a little bit, um, Chiron is a very big deal. 
okay, and some of the other centaurs as well. And as we'll see, these three discovery charts, as well as now this fourth one with, with the discovery of Uranus. So um, this is an auspicious night to do it. At the same time, tomorrow on March 31st, we've got Mars joining Saturn at zero of Aquarius. And just a word about that. Last year when I was doing the podcast, I already looked ahead to this year. And here we are now about to have March 31st. If you go through so many of those podcasts, every so often you'll hear me say, and next year in 2020, on March 31st, Mars will join Saturn. Now that's happening. On May 17th of this year, Pallas Athena, which has so much to do with uh, intelligence and knowledge and wisdom, but also on immunization and immunology and the DNA and the genetic code. That asteroid, Pallas Athena, will stop, make a station, which itself is powerful. Where? Zero Aquarius. Zero Aquarius, where Mars and Saturn are meeting tomorrow, where Pallas Athena will stop on May 17th where Jupiter and Saturn will make their historic conjunction at zero Aquarius on December 21 of this year, which I also talked about eight years ago on Coast to Coast uh, when George Norrie, the host, asked me at the end of uh, doing a, uh, I was on there with the Mayan calendar the whole year of 2012. You may remember people were fearing the end of the world because the Mayan calendar for 5,000 years was ending and the great host, um, wonderful George Norrie said, Mark, is there anything else you want to leave us with? And I said, eight years, well, now it's seven and a half years ago, that on December 21, 2020, which was exactly eight years after the supposed end of the Mayan calendar, we're going to have an extraordinary thing that Jupiter and Saturn, the two largest planets that come together every 20 years, would finally come together in Aquarius, starting a cycle of about 180 years of Jupiter and Saturn meeting in air signs rather than earth signs. And this is a, actually part of what's happening in our culture. It's, it's related back to 2008 during the financial meltdown of that year. And it's related to so many of the financial crises like to 1987 and the stock, the, the crash then, the, the crash of 1929 that, that led to the Great Depression because Jupiter and Saturn cycles, we've known about them for well over 2,500 years. We know that people in Mesopotamia, particularly in the Middle East, and it was probably true in China and India and many other cultures, were able to watch. The astronomer and astrologers were watching Jupiter and Saturn. They can be seen by the naked eye. And, you know, when you think about all the, all the uh, problems in the air, air pollution, smog in cities, and all the congestion and all the lights, the ancient world didn't have that. We'll get into that in another podcast. That's why the, the watching the cycles of the moon, first quarter moon, full moon, uh, when you're out in the middle of, uh, away from cities and there's a bright full moon and there are no clouds, that is a very powerful light source. And, and we'll get into that another time in a podcast. There's something very special I want to talk about, that whole thing about the light of the moon on a whole bunch of levels. But we'll, let's leave that for another time. So... Um, what, what I want to share here is the importance of the fact that, for instance, we will be leading up to this event, December 21 of this year, when Jupiter and Saturn converge at zero Aquarius, and it's the shift from Earth to air. And here's the ir ironic and sad thing. Now, one of the parts of this whole coronavirus epi uh, pa pandemic 
the scary thing, whether you're old or young, is that it, it's, it's, it creates a pneumonia. This is what fundamentally kills people, regardless of whether, depending on your heart conditions and all these other things that are going on and how severe you get it and who you got it from and things like that, the fundamental kind of more of the death knell or the death blow has to do with the massive effect of this new coronavirus because we don't have antibodies. That's the whole big problem here. Most of us have gotten flu bugs and therefore if a flu comes out, not that a flu can't kill you also, it would be, be very serious. Most of us have antibodies for the various strains of flu. Now there are apparently more than one strain of this new coronavirus, but the point is before, and it's coming out the last few months, the reason it has been so deadly, aside from the messing up of testing in the United States, which we talked about, we didn't use the World Health Organization test. We tried to rely on our CDC, their charts for the World Health Organization and the CDC in one of the previous podcasts in the series. And I did talk about it already, but what I didn't talk about was the messing up of the tests um, that set us back six weeks. And so I don't want to get into relitigating all of that uh, and a lot of people who support the President of the United States and Vice President Pence and the daily press conferences uh, either don't realize or we never have gotten, not that I would ever expect an apology from either the President or the Vice President or um, uh, Azar who runs the Human Health and Human Services Department or whoever was running the CDC. But there was a whole mess up there and that's why we have more cases than anywhere else in the world. And that's another issue, too. I do believe, uh, and a lot of people think this is a conspiracy, but it isn't. I do believe that in countries that are run by authoritarian leaders like Putin and Xi in Russia and China and other countries, we're not getting the right statistics. So even though there are some interesting statistics you can see every day, which often are coming from Johns Hopkins Medical Facility in, in uh, Maryland, and you'll see these numbers for the United States of how many cases, uh, positive cases or cases, um, and also how many deaths. And you'll see that internationally as well. I think that the numbers are way, way off. The numbers are way, way off because it's very easy in the authoritarian states. And I know some something about this personally, about what happens in ICUs and what happens with death certificates just coming from a medical family and from different events that happened between 2015 and 2018 in my own life and with my beloved who had to suffer at the ICU, um, although was treated very well, uh, but um, having to deal with ERs at ICU, it's not so much what happened then, although now we're, we're expecting this disaster because of not having enough ventilators and not having enough staff and the hospitals being overrun, mostly because of the lack of testing for six weeks and having to catch up. But um, the American system of medicine itself, this is a whole other thing, goes back to the views of Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren and other people who have been talking about we need universal health care. And now we've just spent trillions of dollars, or at least we're releasing trillions of dollars for this pandemic, and there'll have to be more trillions of dollars. And it's another whole issue, you know, where the people on the progressive left will have been castigated by the people on the right saying, it's too much money. We can't do it. It would, it would ruin our economy. There's no way on earth that we could ever have 
universal health care like some of the Scandinavian nations or what happens in Europe. It's impossible. It's socialized medicine. It's communist. It's terrible. And now look at what's happening. Now because of the pandemic, trillions of dollars, basically monies that are just manufactured one way or another, even though the it could the Treasury Department, the Fed can say, well, yeah, we can do it. And, you know, it's we're supporting uh, the dead and the and the Fed and big corporations. And we got to keep the economy going. I mean, f fundamentally, we're just talking about money that's being manufactured out of to speak of the air element that we're entering for the next 180 years by Jupiter and Saturn coming out of thin air. And this is part of the reason so many of us distrust the government uh, or or just distrust the whole thing of the 1% having uh, so much money versus the middle class and the lower classes and so on. Okay, so here, let's, in order to do this, I'm going to go through these post-it notes. And I think of, I think I mentioned Dostoevsky, who wrote Notes from the Underground. So that was one of the books. And that's what I'm about to do. Notes from the Mark Lerner, Astrology, Great Bear Enterprises, Underground. That's what I feel I'm doing here. And they literally are notes. They're post-it notes over the last week. And as I said earlier, I'm not going to do this again. I'm going to have, I'm going to try and accumulate the information differently. So this was a test and it's what I'm about to share with you in these post-it notes. Stop and think about these things. Okay. Because I may, re I may actually say some of them twice for emphasis. Uh, it also makes me feel, aside from Notes from the Underground, I don't know if how many of you ever read Franz Kafka, The Metamorphosis or The Trial. And those books are very fascinating in terms of now, uh, in terms of thinking about some of the things that are going on in our culture, of like the, the massive uncertainty relative to government or what's going to happen and these invisible energies going around. So there's no chronological order to all this and so I'm just going to kind of look at a post-it note and then I'm going to put it aside. So here we go. Up front, I had written this several days ago. This is probably the most important of all the post-it notes. This is, I, I mentioned this before, each one of these outer, well, Eris and Sedna are outer bodies. They're, they're way beyond Pluto. Chiron orbits between Saturn and Uranus, and it was the earliest one of these three to be discovered, 1977. Again, now I'm adding the discovery of Uranus. We'll get to that later from March 13 of 1781. And there's a reason because that was the first uh, planet to be discovered. So here's the important thing for all of us. When we think about what is going on and why Eris, which was on Sedna for President Trump when he took the oath, and by extension, all of the baby boomers, which include myself, every, all of us um, being born 1946, 47, 48, 49, 50, and the early 50s in a wave, just like on TV, you know, they're talking about flattening the wave. If we get through all this and we isolate different people and everybody stays at home and people do their thing. Uh, and then we, even though there's so many terrible things happening with people dying and people getting this thing and all the fear and the panic, they're talking about the curve and flattening the curve, right? Well, the, the, the interesting thing here is that the Eris on Sedna factor that you could read about in Earth Aquarius News about the President of the United States when he took the oath of office, which is why I refer back to that chart a whole lot, each, each inaugural chart lasts for four years until the next one. It's very powerful chart 
both for the person who's the president, the person who's the vice president, but what goes on in the executive branch of the government during that four-year time. And so that chart is alive and powerful. And if there are dangerous things going on there, as we'll, I'll, I'll connect up to pick, particularly Chiron uh, and its discovery chart or the other discovery charts affecting not just the president, not just the vice president, but also affecting uh, an inaugural chart, then we can be in serious trouble. So um, Eris, okay, is war. Um, and that's because of its archetype is connected. Um, Eris is known as the sister of Mars from mythology. And although she has different meanings, and I, I want to be clear about this, I believe that the the mythology of Eris and Sedna, where it's very negative, very a lot of this is very negative about what cre creates this sort of anger in these go two goddesses. There's a lot of goodness here, but because our culture has been so male chauvinist um, for thousands of years, even the mythology, like for instance, when you study regular mythology uh, of the main different gods and goddesses, Eris never comes up. Why is that? Maybe because now we finally discovered her far out in space, twice as far from Pluto. And then when the uh, mythology, well, I'm not saying that specialists in Greek mythology or Roman mythology, they would have known of Eris. And I believe there's also an Eris that's another goddess. But okay, there's a, there's a sister of Mars. And she was the one who was not invited to this important wedding between the Greeks and the Trojans. And she winds up, I'm not going to give the whole mythology, being the catalyst to create the Trojan War. So the negativity there um, with Eris has to do with war. And now the reason what I'm saying is this connotation or these words that are now that the medical professionals are on the front lines. There are soldiers in a war against this invisible enemy. And now the president of the United States, the vice president, and other people in the administration are sort of taking on that um, energy field, just like George um, George Bush number two started reading about Lincoln after um, 9-1-1, and then we wound up invading Iraq and starting um, the Afghanistan war, which has never stopped. And then he was he was seen. I'm not I'm not dissing him. I'm just saying he he started reading about Lincoln as a wartime president. And so now, um, for for good or for ill, for whatever reason, whether positive or negative or in between. Our president at this point, with all leading the press conferences, you may remember when he when he asked Mike Pence to be in charge, I saw the first one. He said, Mike is going to be in charge and he's going to report back to me. Now, every day, unless there's some you know, meeting somewhere else, the president of the United States starts the whole thing. He's the big MC. It's like the celebrity apprentice all over again. Why is that happening? Well, that's his personality. He wants to do this and lead the way. Then he'll invite these different people, the medical people up. But everything has morphed into the President of the United States coming out, Rose Garden, in the press conference area, wherever it is, and leading leading this show or this, however you want to uh, call it. Now, of course, there's Governor Cuomo, there's uh, Governor Newsom, there are some other governors and different people, and soon we'll see mayors doing this thing locally. But at any rate, the word of all the things relating to Eris, and there's some spectacularly positive ones and negative ones, the keynote for Eris is war. This is the thing, whether we like it or not. 
Okay, there are positive aspects of war too, you know, to defeat a virulent enemy and to be victorious over that. So it's not as if Eris is all bad war, but it is the battle and the war. So of these three um, discoveries of Eris, Sedna, and Chiron, when you think of Eris and what I'm talking about here, that's the war. And remember, um, what's happening with that is that Eris is not only on Donald Trump's Sedna, when he took the oath of office, but all the baby boomers, including myself, all the people in a wave, we're all having ears on our sednas. So this principle of war, this newly discovered since 2005, sister of Mars, okay, who was sort of like, it's almost like uh, a sister who came out of nowhere because she was never a prominent um, goddess. That's the thing that's interesting. But ironically, maybe it's because there was this planet far away that was waiting to be named Eris, which is another whole concept metaphysically. The planets basically name themselves. It's really not astronomers say, hey, let's call it Eris, or let's call this planet Uranus, or let's call this Sedna. It's not as if they're just coming up with it. This is part of Jung's collective consciousness. Um, Teilhard de Chardin, this idea of a kind of newosphere. Um, the planets have their own names for what they are and what they represent as part of our collective consciousness. And then somebody, an astronomer, and, and in this case, there's like three astronomers. I'm not going to name them all, but one is Mike Brown, and I did talk to him at one point, and they usually operate out of Caltech. Um, and there's actually three observatories that sort of usually wind up validating these planets like Sedna, you know, to make sure like somebody discovers it or a group discovers it. That, Often it happens in Pasadena, Palomar, or somewhere connected to Caltech. And then they, they ask uh, people at an observatory in Chile. Um, they have an observatory. And then there's another one in Hawaii. So often now they're getting confirmations before they come out with everything. Are you, are you getting the same results we're getting? That kind of thing. Yeah, we got it. You know, you gave us the exact locations. We see what you're seeing. And then, then we get the discovery date and chart. Uh, and then astrologers start studying them. So... You know, I hate to do this, but this is the thing, because the word war is now synonymous day after day after day because of the medical people and what we're all struggling with together, whether nationally, internationally. So when you hear war, you need to realize they're talking Eris, okay? They're talking Eris more than any other planetary archetype. Well, what about Sedna? Okay, Sedna was discovered before, before uh, Eris it, uh, in 11 months before, in November of 2003. So with all, I mentioned this last time, but of all the archetypes, and there are many, positive and negative and challenging, for this um, goddess of the deeps, depths of the ocean, of the Arctic Ocean, coming from an Eskimo Inuit mythology, um, Sedna is frozen. And the cartoons or these Disney movies came out, Frozen 1 and 2, there was Frozen on Ice. Um, and... I can't tell you many articles, and the reason I'm saying that of all the archetypes of Sedna, the one that is the most meaningful, the word that when you see it all the time and people say, talk about Frozen, is Sedna. So, translation, you hear war being talked about, this war by, you know, with the doctors on the front lines, and the war against the invisible enemy. When somebody's using the word war, whether it's President Trump or Vice President Pence or a governor or whoever it is, a medical official, and they refer to war, 
put that means Sedna is influencing everyone, or Sedna is omnipresent in the psychic atmosphere of humanity. That's what I'm trying to give you a kind of code here. So frozen. Part of this is that when you actually study, and there are many meetings again for Sedna about victims and the, the patriarchy versus women and the negativity of behavior of men versus women and husbands versus wives and so on. There's all these things that are intermingled with the, with, with the mythology of Sedna. But the keynote is fr frozen because she connects up to the life at the depths of the Arctic Ocean at, with all the marine animals and so on that she's connected with. And this is also connected to global warming and the, and the climate change around the planet. So as the, both the, the glaciers and the ice caps are melting, it's in the sense that she has been released. Okay, her archetype, her themes, her presence. It, first we discover the planet, but the reason that Sedna is so powerful is for the two reasons I've said before. And that's why it's a little complicated. You gotta remember this. So the word frozen is the one that people are using in all the articles I'm downloading. It's, it's either like we're all in a deep freeze or we're frozen in place or we've lost our income. You know, we, we have to get unemployment insurance. And what's going to happen literally in two days, April 1, I read a whole article about renters and restaurants, the three R's, renters, restaurants, and retail places. What are they going to do on April 1? because the first day of a month is often bill day. And so this has just been brought up tonight on the Brian Williams 11th hour. By the way, as long as I brought up Brian Williams, I want to say something about Brian Williams. Um, Brian Williams, as many of you know, used to do the NBC evening news. A lot of the people on the right are going to say, oh, you mean that hack or that guy, you know, he's liberal, whatever. This is a brilliant guy. He was born May 5 of 1959. I like to give credit where credit is due. And as I've shared before, I go back to Walter Cronkite. That's how, that's who I sort of revered. He was considered, you know, the most trusted man or person in America. And there are reasons for that astrologically and don't want to go back into that. I, meant, I mention him every so often. But a word about Brian Williams. He used to do the NBC Evening News for well over a decade. And then NBC News found out that he sort of exa he exaggerated. He was on uh, different plane flights. It was having to do with Af Afghanistan or somewhere in Iraq. And he talked about some of the um, shells or something uh, that was happening relative to his airplane that they had to go through different shell fire. Or And then it turned out that, maybe, that he exaggerated or he did exaggerate um, the intensity of it. There was a whole squawking. It was particularly, again, very often happens. It's, it was more, in this case, the right wing. Hey, that guy was lying. He was exaggerating. Take him off the air. There were so many complaints that he not only lost his gig that Lester Holt has, and Lester Holt is a great reporter as well, who does the evening news, but he was docked without pay for about six months. And this is what I find to be ironic. So then he was supposedly demoted. And if you actually read Wikipedia or something like say, and then he was demoted to be on MSNBC. Well, guess what? Just think about what's happening here. With over the last several years, the demotion, quote unquote, of Brian Woods, and maybe he wants to be back at you know the Lester Holt chair, but nevertheless, he's on three times a day. His show is an hour. Lester Holt is on for thirty minutes on the CB on the NBC Evening News, 
And so Brian Williams, and the reason I bring him up is he's got a great sense of humor. And you know why? Because we know his chart and he's got Leo rising and he's got Uranus, the planet I'm talking about that I added here, the discovery of Uranus. Aside from Uranus, he's got Uranus rising within four degrees of the ascendant. He's born on May 5th with the sun in the middle of Taurus, which is one of the four main power points in the zodiac in the middle of the fixed signs. He's got a moon-mercury conjunction on Chiron in the United States birth chart. So he's got a Chiron connection. His shows are very interesting. He's very clear. He, he brings a sense of humor to with almost every single little segment that happens which I love. I have a very strong Uranus in my own chart. And and there's another, well, there's another position I was going to mention, but let's let it go. Uh, he's also in the middle of having, uh, he just experienced his second Saturn return. So he's kind of back in the saddle again. And so he not only um, is the main person on MSNBC when there's election stuff and coordinating all the different other reporters, but he's on three times a day. Uh, his it's the same it's the same show but it's repeated they don't do that with lester holt i mean maybe you can go to youtube what i'm saying is if you look at it, this just shows you reality versus sort of unreality basically in the nbc universe it's brian williams that people see much more of than lester holt even though lester holt has the main chair so this is again interesting between illusion and reality so again <laughs> Let's go back to this. This is only one post-it note, so I'm going to have to go through the other ones as fast as I can as we go through all this. So, again, think of this. I'm repeating myself here, but for emphasis. When you hear anyone talk about war at this point, it's not really Mars, although Mars is involved. It always will be. There, all the planets have an element when we're at war. Every single planet will be connected to war in some way. Every sign will be connected to war. But right now, war the medical, the, the people on the front lines, the troops that are really our, our doctors, and the, and the thing about the ventilators and everything else, those are like the equipment in war, whether the you know, rockets or the ammunition that people have. So they're now all these terminology, this is all like a war footing. This is Eris, being frozen in place, not being able to move, being taken out of our workplaces, um, being in a deep freeze, the economy being in a deep freeze, all the stories about possibly this is the worst day of the stock market. This hasn't been that bad since 1987. And by the way, when these uh, recently when the stock market dipped below to create a bear market, which is generally when when the market goes down 20 percent um, from wherever its high was, and that did happen recently, and then the market went back up and the writer's saying it's no longer a bear market because the market rallied one day went up 2000 then went up a thousand so it's not in the in the weird position of the dow where it was at 19000 10000 points below where it was now it's moved up another 3000 so that creates a kind of little bit of a cover uh temporarily oh no we're not in a bear market officially anymore we were for like 2 days and now we're not but the truth is you know how much the market actually went down and they don't want to say the word it went down much more percentage-wise than even happened at the Great Depression. And I have studied that a whole lot. October 24th, 1929, Black Thursday. October 29, 1929, Black Tuesday. I've studied the whole time period over and over and over again. I'm not an economist. I'm not a financial astrologer. But I'm, I love that kind of history. 
and I know what the percentages are, but you don't see the reporters saying, you know, actually, it finally did happen in the last 24 hours. Somebody, one reporter finally said exactly what I'm saying now. Somebody said, you know what? Exactly what I just said. They, they said, oh, we've been comparing the downturn back uh, 33 years to 1979. There was that one day the market fell like 500 plus points, and that was the worst point drop since the Great Depression. And then this person who was talking about it was saying, it might have even been Paul Krugman earlier tonight. I know he, that might be in a post-it note, the, the economist that Donald Trump doesn't like and that is considered liberal by conservatives. But Paul Krugman has won um, a Nobel Prize, I believe, in economics. And he, he writes opinion pieces on finance for the New York Times and has been a, um, a major American economist. He might have been the one who said it, but somebody said it and said, no, you know, was that real, really, it's worse than the Great Depression drop. And there's that Dr. Doom. He, he uh, I, forget, I forget his name, but he actually is, I think, at NYU in New York. And he recently said, you know, this is going to be worse in the economy of the Great Depression. And by the way, I'm not forecasting that right now, but I will be sharing more about this whole idea in the future podcasts, quite a few of them. So I'm not done with that idea of the economy. The third word is really two words, twilight zone. Chiron has many incredible meanings. Okay, not November 1, 1977. It's been around a long time now. We've, got, we've had it for what, 53 years, 52 plus years now all these great books, people who wrote for Welcome Planet Earth and had their own books, Zane Stein, Barbara Hanclow, many other people have written articles in Welcome Planet Earth. They wrote their own books. Um, for me, I wrote a number of articles about Chiron. I talked about the last time. I'm not going to repeat myself on that. But the point is Chiron, aside from wounded healer, aside from shaman and mentor, aside from holistic healing and alternative medicine, aside from deja vu and psychic sensitivity and keys that open doors to higher consciousness, being a catalyst, being a maverick. There's so many words and concepts for Chiron. The Magi Society, I mentioned them the last time, uh, who do Western astrology, but out of China and out of Hong Kong in that area, and who um, I gave free advertising in the 1990s in Welcome Planet Earth because they wrote an incredible book called Astrology Really Works, and they woke up Western astrologers who were asleep about parallels and contraparallels. Now, a lot of professional astrologers in Europe and America have worked with parallels and contraparallels. So I'm not saying we haven't, and it's been very much there. But they gave an extra emphasis and they gave a nuance to it in astrology really works. And the main person who had written that and created it, I was, I'm not going to talk about my connection, except that we did make contact we ran many different ads. I gave them all complimentary um, because I thought their achievements were amazing. Then they came out with two more books and they basically connected Chiron to love and marriage or you know, positive aspects of love in marriage. And their systems are very unusual and fascinating with all kinds of interesting geometry because they're using not just the signs of the zodiac, which are along the ecliptic, um, which is what we call the sun's path around us, but it's really our path around the sun, and we divide it up into 12, into the 12 signs. But parallels and contraparallels 
are north and south of the celestial equator, which is the Earth's middle section. And that has been around for 2000 years, if not longer, but it doesn't have the punch. It doesn't have like when you deal with parallels and contraparallels, there are no 12 signs. So it doesn't have the imagery. So it never captured the attention until to me, these three books, astrology really works and these two others. However, even though uh, Chiron can and does have connections to all these different themes and archetypes, and there are many others, uh, that have to do with love and heart sensitivity and soulmate kind of things that they explore in their book. Twilight Zone, the Twilight Zone, is the key theme. So we've got war with Eris, we've got frozen with Sedna, and we've got Twilight Zone. And many of the, th the, the reason that this is in is this is the other thing. We're all fe feeling frozen in place. There's a deep freeze. We're in isolation. Um, 401ks are going down people don't have their nest eggs anymore this is all like the temperature going down to zero people are frightened they're panicking and so on because the economy feels like it's going down the drain now of course the president the vice president's like hey if we do this another 15 days another 30 days the economy is going to come roaring back and everything's going to be great well believe what you want okay the astrology that i'm talking about is much different and the other thing um, about Chiron, and this is important, and then we'll get into all the other uh, post-it notes, is as I shared, I wrote, and um, I, I don't want you to only go to the Earth Aquarius News uh, main section to see the Eris on Sedna on Donald Trump's um, inauguration chart, which is profound and important. You can read all of that. It's not listening. You read all of it and see charts. The last global hotspot on the Aries new moon, okay, which just literally happened, uh, last week, um, that particular uh, new moon was exactly conjunct Chiron. So that just happened a short time ago. And you can read that in our global hotspot section, which is also on Great Bear Enterprises and previous global hotspots of previous full moons and new moons going back into December and into January and February, where I was talking about the pandemic. Those are all articles you could read and there's a world map. It's what we call astrocartography or astrolocality mapping. And each one of those global hotspots has a new moon or a full moon. And there are different kinds of things that are in there that are really fascinating. So um, this is all a big deal. Um, my colleague, Wayne Moody has done this a whole lot. Wayne and I were talking the other day, very illuminating conversations about his work, which we'll, we will present to you uh, in the near future. Um, fascinating kind of work among all the different astrologers in Welcome to Planet Earth. Um, Wayne and I have connected over the years and we're still in contact talking about a lot of different things. And so um, th this will come out, more of this will come out about the power of different places, different longitudes and latitudes that have to do with this concept of war, not just the war that we're dealing with now, but these other wars, people are forgetting that three days into the new year, we were almost in a hot war against Iran. And by a little bit of a saving grace, and maybe even partly due to this pandemic coming out and a couple of other things, that's not happening. But Iran is suffering, as we know. Um, and there are things I explained why Iran is suffering because of the Chinese Lunar New Year, and all the all the workers and the diplomats from all over the world uh, who went from it, Tehran or went from Milan in Italy and they 
went back to all the people who had come out of the, the Wuhan province and the Hubei province. Millions of people were, lo were locked out of the province when they closed it down. And some of those people had the coronavirus and there was all this intermingling of people during the celebration of the Chinese Lunar New Year, which was not one day, it was 15 days. And do, I've shared this before several times now in these podcasts. This is how the pandemic um, used the term, which is kind of not a good term, the cat is out of the bag or the genie is out of the bottle. The thing is, is that all of this was happening and coming through the United States and going into Europe, and we didn't know it was happening, partly because of the authoritarian nature of the one-party system in China. And the, they were repressing all the information. I w already went over this in the past. But that's why we're all suffering now. This didn't have to happen. The, the extent of what, what is going on here did not have to happen. But it has to do with the fact that we still have authoritarian, authoritarian governments that are repressing information. And when that happens and you don't get the truth, and when leaders are not sharing the truth, and when people are saying, well, there's a, there's a group of alternative facts, there are no alternative facts, as I shared in a previous podcast where I gave the picture of the World Almanac and Book of Facts, which has come out since like 1868. That's, those are facts, tornadoes, earthquakes, you know, the first airplane trip, baseball statistics, election results. I even read from some of that. I grew up with that. That's what made me a professional astrologer more than anything else. Every year reading the World Almanac about numbers, about statistics. And again, what we're getting now, as I said, even in even in the United States here, the numbers from John Hopkins, Johns Hopkins uh, Medical Facility, they seem accurate, you know, 113,402 or whatever the numbers are. But we haven't tested everyone. A lot of people who have it have not been tested. People have already passed away. We didn't don't even know that they had it. Um, and down the list. And again, in the authoritarian countries, um, it, it's easy for them to put pneumonia on a death certificate and therefore make believe it's not coronavirus. Okay, that was one post-it note. Okay, so I'm going to try and do these as best as I can. And I guess I'm going to do the uh, Cliff Notes version to give these as quickly as I can. Okay, I gave the Brian Williams one. Great, I don't have to do that. So that the post-it note in praise of Brian Williams. He's a joker. He's 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 uh, intuitive. May fifth, nineteen fifty nine. We know his chart. Watch Brian Williams every so often. It's a breath of fresh air. The Defense Production Act, nineteen fifty. Um, there were all these questions. This is another post-it note. Why all these questions? Why hasn't Trump used the Defense Production Act? because he sort of came out with it about a week ago. And then he finally, finally said, hey, GM, General Motors, you're not doing cars anymore. We want you to hook up with uh, making ventilators. And they were already doing this, actually. So he came out, I laugh about it, he came out and said, we demand, you know, through the Defense Production Act from 1950, the Korean War, this act that, you know, people hadn't heard about for 70 years, and in order for the government to authorize an industry to do something. By the way, you know why he didn't do it? Because this is the kind of thing that's the equivalent in often what we would call banana republics or some of the Latin American uh, republics and others, when an elected leader is, is toppled by a junta or generals and they take over the government in a coup. One of the things they often do is they, it's a term, they nationalize industries. So uh, this is one of the fears, you know, when you, in, in some of these other countries, 
and our great ex-president Jimmy Carter, that's why he would go to some of these countries when they were sort of fledgling democracies to make sure that the democ that the people were able to vote and you didn't have military or juntas and so on who were ready to um, to get rid of or overturn election. By the way, Iraq, okay, with Saddam Hussein, and this is also Syria, but if you go back to Iraq in 1958, they had a particular leader, and I'm not saying that person was a good guy, but um, the, the kind of party that Saddam Hussein eventually took control over in 1979, in 1958, 21 years earlier, um, a coup occurred so that generals took over Iraq. And basically, that's what I'm saying. Um, that became one of those things that just happened to occur in Iraq where generals had a coup and so on. And so in a lot of countries, this has happened. And unfortunately, also in the past through the Central Intelligence Agency, I've shared about this, about American imperialism and colonialism. We have often sided to our detriment with generals instead of democratically elected leaders. For instance, we are in, our leader, uh, President Trump, just went to India, and India has a leader named Modi, and they've had a many different. Uh, they've had Indira Gandhi. They had different people, uh, Jawaharlal Nehru, different leaders over the course of time. But this person is probably the most nationalistic. And But if you go back historically, a bit back to the 60s and 70s and 80s and 90s and so on, between Pakistan and India, we became the supporters of Pakistan. And very often they would have different generals who were running their country and not a democratically elected leader. There are a couple of times there was a democratically elected leader and uh, Benazir Bhutto is a, a, a good example. Her father had been prime minister. He was then arrested. Um, and generals took over, then she was in, she was won an election, and then she was killed. And then other generals took over. And we support Pakistan. And India wound up being allied with Russia or the Soviet Union. You can go back and you can study it. And it's ridiculous. The, the, the main largest republic with a parliament, India, in the world, and we're allied with their opponent, Pakistan, with generals. So you go back and it's a very dark history of American imperialism, colonialism. That's just an example. So the Defense Production Act, where President Trump took a week and finally said, you know, GM, I want you to do these ventilators with this company, which is out of the state of Washington. Well, they were already working on that. But the reason he didn't want to do it was that is basically kind of a socialist kind of a thing. It happens in socialist areas and it happens where dictators do that. So, you know, he's getting advisors to do this and that. So at any rate, there's another post-it note. Um, okay, the nodes, this is a big deal. Actually, this is just in the last 24 hours. So I'm gonna let you in on a little secret. Um, this, is, this, this will actually be the basis of maybe a whole podcast. Oh, I don't even know if I should do this. this I'm gonna put this aside. Sorry, folks, I'm gonna put these two aside. We'll see if we get to it later. It has to do with the nodes. I've mentioned before earlier about the mean node and the true node. So let's see if I get to it later. I don't want to do it just yet. Okay, Jane Fonda. What? Yes, I was thinking of this. This is tonight. Jane Fonda, who's 82, born December 21 of 1937. She's in my book. She's in my book, uh, Mysteries of Venus. She's one of a few charts. 
uh, won the Academy Award twice. Why am I bringing her up? Well, so many people are at home. Guess what? People are not going to the gym anymore. Do you remember? Aside from being a great actress, even though, again, the right wing hated her because she went to, she went to Vietnam, she went to North Vietnam, she was considered, uh, I don't know what they called her, Red Jane or whatever it was. Um, the, she was hated by the right wing. She had a lot of issues with her own dad. When, when they finally did On, on Golden Pond, um, which she was in with Catherine Hepburn and her father. And I think he won the award, maybe, or the movie won Academy Award. She won her two Academy Awards. I've seen a lot of her movies. And she's got an incredible chart. I won't go into all of it. But I was thinking, her videos in the 80s and 90s, and I looked this up, the first video, there were 22 videos of her workout, the Jane Fonda workout. Now, I don't know how many people watched that, but this was a big deal. And according to the statistics, um, it's the it's, it was the highest selling VHS, you know, tape or video of all time. And following after the Jane Fonda workout, which came out interestingly in 1982, and what happened in 1982 was the beginning of the Reagan administration. We were in a great recession, and so the timing of even that, everybody was, particularly women, mostly more than men. We're all getting into the Jane Fonda workout. I didn't know there were 22 more. And she made 13 for 13 years and she made $17 million. Not that she needed money. But anyway, her son is at the end of Sagittarius, which is the galactic center, the center of our galaxy. And she's got a Leo moon. So sun, moon, trine. Her Neptune is conjunct the United States Neptune in 1937. Around that time, in the couple of years right before World War II, Neptune came back to where it was when our country began. There are a lot of people born, uh, well-known people, celebrities and others, who were born in the late 1930s. It was the, the Great Depression, sort of the end of that before World War II. And these people have Neptune, many of them, Neptune conjunct the United States Neptune. And Neptune is also one of the key energies for film, the whole film and television world. So a lot of the great film stars were born in that time period. Uh, Pat Buchanan, um, who ran for president and is more of a, on a conservative right wing side of things. I've always actually uh, respected his intelligence. He's written many different books. Uh, I, w the reason I kind of like him, even though, again, I don't agree with his philosophies a lot, is that he and I have the same exact Jupiter. And so knowing that when I look somebody up, even if they're conservative, um, Again, there were a lot of things about Ronald Reagan in his politics I didn't like, but his personality was really interesting, and it was a sun sign Aquarius. And when you start looking at the different things in the charts, you know, Mr. Gorbachev, Mr. Gorbachev tear down this wall and some of the other things he would do, they become larger than life, whether we liked him or we didn't like him. He was, he was the great communicator at that point. And by the way, President Obama... Uh, who was born in 1961, about nine, nine days before the Berlin Wall went up, um, wound up when he was in his 20s, Ronald Reagan was president. And it's pretty uh, a pretty known fact that uh, it's not that uh, Obama, uh, President Obama looked up to Ronald Reagan, but he was the president of the United States when uh, Barack Obama was in his formative adult years, when he was 21 and 22 and 23 and 24 and so on. So in his 20s, the president of the United States for eight years was Ronald Reagan. So this is why this helped him or maybe didn't help him when he became president. 
he wanted to have Republican support. They never gave it to him. What I'm saying to you is because of the Republican conservative nature of our government under Reagan and Bush from 1981 to 1988, and then Bush, uh, George Bush number one was four more years. All those years, which are about 12 years from 1981 to, to 1992 before Clinton and Gore, this is when Barack Obama was in his 20s and early 30s. And so what he saw in government were all these conservative re Republicans. When he came into power, one of the first things he wanted to do, uh, President Obama, was to work with, in harmony, Republicans. Remember the whole thing of his speech? There is not a red America or a blue America. There's the United States of America. That was one of his big terms when he um, gave the, the main talk um, four years before he was elected in 2004 uh, when John Kerry was running against Bush in the second time when Bush won. He gave the keynote address and that was his big thing. There aren't, There isn't a blue America, there isn't a red America, there is a United States of America. And now, in a way, we are all in that thing. And guess what? Former President Barack Obama is having his second Saturn return. Uh, so very interesting. And also, he's about to have his fifth Jupiter return when Jupiter uh, hits zero of Aquarius uh, and joins Saturn in December 21. President Obama will have Jupiter come back. And guess who else has Jupiter coming back? Jane Fonda. Because she happens to be born two cycles of 12 years before Barack Obama. There's a method to this madness, folks. Anyway, the reason I brought up Jane Fonda is that she's an amazing individual. She's been on both sides of it. She's still alive. And I think a lot of people may wind up getting the DVD versions of her workout, you know, back to the future, back to the oldies and so on. Okay, um, just on TV tonight, there's, you know who Steve Kornacki is on MSNBC? Maybe you don't. He's very good with all the different states and election polling and so on. He's just reporting that prepare for the next wave of cities. And just to mention these, you know, who may have, who, who are right now having these hotspots of the coronavirus, Toledo, Ohio, um, Rogers, um, Arkansas, uh, Flint, Michigan. This is all just tonight. Uh, Wichita, Kansas, Mobile, Alabama, Tucson, Arizona, uh, Pittsburgh, uh, Pennsylvania. These are cities that, based on what seems to be happening at those hospitals. Um, so he brought that up tonight. Um, I don't, the other thing that came up, I don't know if you saw this, but the President of the United States, again, he likes to say, because he closed down China, um, traffic from China, this came up the other day, it was kind of weird. I mean, he literally talks about this several times. He locked down flights from China, and he says, I did that before anybody else did. This is pretty much what he says uh, at the end of January. And then he said, and this is so remarkable, he said, if we had done nothing with the coronavirus, that's if we had done nothing, two million people would have died. Well, we were never going to do nothing. So that's like a completely, um, if you just think about the phrase, I said in the previous podcast, I feel like Mr. Spock. So just add those two things. Okay, fine. You closed down China. Great. January 30th. That was helpful without any doubt. Then you add on, and if we had done nothing, well, <laughs> we were never going to do nothing. It, it doesn't mean anything. It's completely nonsensical. It's almost like take a, a reality, like a number. Okay, January 
at the end of January, I locked down flights from China. Okay, let's make that number five. Five plus what? Question mark. We were never going to do nothing. And then the result equals two million people would have died. It doesn't make any sense. It's just words and it doesn't mean anything. And it's ridiculous. Now, having said that, the problem was that when he said the things about like, you know, the temperature is going to warm up, it's going to go away, it'll be like a miracle, all these things. Today, Jim Acosta, who, he's, who Trump hates and always says, you know, you're fake news at CNN, your, your ratings are low, whatever. And today, actually during a Gemini moon, when the moon is exactly on top of the president's sun, he was up there as the MC. They were bringing out this new COVID test that's going to come around and so on and so forth that they're touting. And there were all these companies, he had different leaders of companies come up. It's going to be bet great. We're going to, the economy is going to be rolling. Instead of it being the Easter, a date of everybody going into the church, at, you know, to their churches, you know, on April 12th, now he's listened to the medical advisor. So today he said it's going to be April 30th. And then he didn't mention anything about May and then said something about, well, in June 1st, hopefully we'll come out of it. Everything will be great. It'll be getting better. And then he gives a little you know, hedge, well, we don't know for sure, but we're hoping and so on. But, but this whole concept that um, Jim Acosta brought up and some of the other ones, which gets the president very upset, was like how the CDC, their tests were faulty. We didn't do anything for so many weeks. We're behind the curve. And when people bring that up, he can't take it. It's just like he, he calls the people unpatriotic or that they're low lives or that they should be appreciating everybody and so on. You just cannot ever accept the fact we, yes, or all you have to do is take five seconds. We made some mistakes. You know, we're learning those lessons. Now that's That just took me three seconds, two seconds to say. All you have to do is, yet you don't even have to say that you made it. Just say, yeah, you know, we've made some mistakes. Other countries have also made mistakes and we're learning from those mistakes. Now that took me six seconds. You can't say that? Why can't you say that? Why can't you say that? You know, this is the incomprehensible thing um, for people who are more logical and grounded and so on. Why can you, it's not like you have to apologize. Nobody's perfect. So uh, at any rate, this is the incomprehensible thing about it. But what I wanted to bring up about this other post-it was, did you see, many of us saw, and I'm sure some of you lis listening, what happened at O'Hare Airport? This is a perfect example of, of the President of the United States inadvertently creating another disaster by something he said or something he did. I don't even remember when it is, and because this is a post-it note, I can't go back and say on this particular night. But what he did do, and this is about two weeks ago, somewhere between 10 days and two weeks ago, because everything seems squashed because of this twilight, twilight zone effect of Chiron, he went on TV. It was the one thing is that I know he it was the one night that he talked from the Oval Office and it was a short speech. It was like nine minutes. So you go back and figure out what the night was. And what he said was in like three days or two days, we are going to halt all traffic from Europe. And he dissed uh, Italy and Spain and Germany and everybody because of the immigration crisis. So he threw in a dig from the Oval Office at our allies saying they were behind the curve and we're, you know, they're messed up and we're not going to, we're not going to stand for this. So I'm taking this action. And but in the next 48 hours or whatever, all Americans, um, well, basically he didn't say everybody's going to come home. He basically said, 
we're not going to have people from those countries. In other words, Italians and Spaniards and Germans and everyone. Although in his first thing, he said, uh, Britons, people from the United Kingdom can come over, but any everyone from France, Germany, you see what I'm saying, in the heart of Europe, we're ceasing all air traffic, just like he stopped with the Chinese. So he got in his mind, we're going to do that. We're not going to have all that terrible stuff happening. So what happened was, and this is the truth, and this is causing part of the pandemic and why our numbers are so high. We have the spring breakers. That's another whole issue. The The universities, they, did, they realize, hey, we don't want kids coming back after spring break. So go home. And they didn't realize that kids were a lot of thousands were going to go down on spring break and then have to go home. And because you don't have to have symptoms and you can pass along, we have that disaster. But what the president didn't realize when he was dissing Europe and saying, hey, we're not going to let Italians and French people and people from Germany come over here anymore. You know, he's he's going to it's like another one of those border things. The Mexicans are rapists and so on that he's going to lock that down. So what happened? The Americans who needed to come home, who had been in Europe, who had been getting infected to a certain degree. and They didn't know they were infected, but they were afraid they weren't going to get home, back to their home country. So two nights later on TV, I remember watching it, and it was on the fake news station, as the president would say. I don't agree. It was on CNN. It was about one in the morning Pacific time. I remember I was going through different stations, and the, the, the reporter, it was astounding who the reporter, it was a male reporter, I think it was from England or from Australia. And he said, we just have these scenes coming in from O'Hare Airport in, in Chicago. And if you know anything about the history of airports, O'Hare used to be more than Atlanta at Hartsfield, the big hub. In other words, people would fly into Chicago or in the United States, you go like to get to New York, um, you might go Seattle, O'Hare, O'Hare, LaGuardia, or whatever. And this is back many years ago. That now there are other airports like in Minneapolis, and which is not a big hub, but it's it's partly. You know, we go to Minneapolis from Seattle or San Francisco, then you take another plane, you get to LaGuardia, you go to uh, I, uh, JFK Airport or wherever else you're going. You know, in, in Florida or Atlanta or Texas or wherever you're going. The I believe the biggest hub of the most traffic of planes is. In Atlanta, I could be wrong, but that's what it was a number of years ago. Nevertheless, O'Hare, Chicago, they showed these scenes were, were totally frightening. Okay, I almost said the word, the bad word, totally shocking and frightening. It wasn't just a picture; it was a video. Thousands of people. This is right before the deadline that Trump had announced. We're going to stop traffic from your. We're not going to let Europeans come in here and mess up our country. But the Americans were okay, and they all got their flights to get home. They were afraid they would be locked out or that things would be, you know, they wanted to come home. But guess what? They weren't all arriving to come home to Chicago. That would be a disaster too. But thousands of people were crunched together on escalators. And if you saw it, then you know what I'm talking about. Because the the whole thing of um, having to spend 14 days in isolation or whatever it is, they had to all line up and wait and there was no continuity of what was happening at the airport. They didn't realize there'd be thousands of people. And so you saw all these people literally next to each other, no six feet, no anything, no three feet. They're just all bunched together. 
And then so many of those people, thousands of those people left Chicago O'Hare to go to San Francisco and Los Angeles and Houston, Texas and wherever else they went in the United States. So you got the Spring Breakers, which happened a little bit after that. You got all the Americans who had been in Europe who were freaking out because the president said we're stopping all flights from Europe. And they, there were all these different ideas. You know, the president said, like these people could have stayed there. They were Americans. They didn't have to come back because he was he was allowing American Americans to come home. But in order to get back and to get back home and not to for them not they didn't want to be in Europe anymore because the the virus was beginning to get really strong. So on mass they all got as many flights as they could. And in that particular airport, God knows what happened in terms of passing around those viruses. And so if the incubation period is two weeks, but we don't know, in some cases, it might be 17 days, it might be three weeks. Every person's body is different, depending on their age, their immune system, and so on. So an incubation period for somebody might be three days if they're going to get a virus, and we don't know how, how bad it's going to be. And many people recover from it, but because of the fear and the panic. So that was another horrendous thing and the person who actually caused it was the president of the United States with his executive decision from the Oval Office. And people can say whatever they want. He, he might say, well, I still saved lives because, you know, I'm not going to let the Italians come in and all those people. Yes, but because of what you did and when you said it and, and the way the Americans in Europe were, were thinking about that, it created a wave of panic. And the, the O'Hare Airport couldn't handle it because the you didn't have any coordination with the people at the airport to adequately deal with all of those folks. Okay, so another post-it note. Literally tonight, after all of this stuff and not hearing from the a governor, I believe he's a Democrat, Ralph Nor Northam from Virginia, suddenly says tonight, just so you know, we're issuing a stay-at-home, the whole thing that's going on in California, Oregon, Washington, Chicago, because eventually the, the governor of Chicago just recently did the whole thing because their state is overrun with the virus. And st those numbers are still climbing in Chicago and throughout Illinois because of the O'Hare thing was a big problem there, aside from the spring breakers. N New York is a different thing. We went over that, started New, Sh New Rochelle. There was a super spreader and then these other areas. And then New York City being hit for other reasons and having you know, 20 some odd million people in greater New York. There are reasons for that. So having said that, the Virginia governor said, stay in place, stay at home, not for June 1, right? Not just for for uh, April 30th. The president said, and we'll see what happens June 1, for 72 days. Now, what? how he came up with that, who knows? Well, it's Virginia, it's near D.C., it's near Maryland. They're getting reports. Maryland is hard hit now, Baltimore is getting hard hit as a city. So the, the the governor of Virginia has said for 72 days to June 10th, stay at home. And the other part about that that's interesting is what's going on there is, uh, do you remember Liberty University? Uh, Jerry Falwell Jr., the son of uh, his father, you know, Jerry Falwell Sr., and they have a university so they decided, or Jerry Falwell Jr., who's basically very conservative, a big Trump supporter, he's always has been, guess what? I'm not going to close down the school like Harvard did and Stanford did and, and public schools around the country uh, to err on the side of caution. Because of religion and God is going to protect us or whatever, even though some of the classes at Liberty University has thousands of students and some of it is online, 
all the students or the students would say, hey, you can come back. You can live in the dorms. We want you here. So then you got that. Well, what's going to happen with that? When Because people don't understand is that one person, well, a lot of us do understand, but I guess the president of the United States doesn't understand this. You put a couple of thousand students back in the dorms or even as a couple of hundred if one is a carrier, that's all you need. They can start infecting all the other ones. You only need one person. Same thing with the school. Um, in my own family, I have two daughters, two stepdaughters, grandchildren. Uh, there was a discussion happening. And I could see that in Oregon, all you needed was not one person at one public school. You just need one, per well, one person at any public school. And if the governor hears about it, then they're going to close all the public schools down. And that's exactly what happened. But it was they didn't even need a, a student or a parent or a, a therapist or a counselor at a school. And there were thousands of students in Oregon. They, the governor said, okay, go home. And first it was go home to the end of March. Now it's the end of April. Pretty, pretty much it's the end of the school season. So that's how th that wave is happening. At any rate, Jerry Falwell Jr., president of Liberty University, he feels it's okay, it doesn't matter, God will protect them, whatever his view is, and we can have all those students come back. So there's going to be another lethal group. At some point, they're going to leave, even if it's just for the summer, but they're probably going to they'll be infecting each other in some capacity. All you need is one person. But just having all those people in the dorms, it doesn't have to be one of those students. It could be a delivery person for takeout. You think that the students are not going to get takeout? And how do we know the takeout, wherever it is, or delivery where somebody doesn't know that they're carrying it, but they are because it can be transferred asymptomatically. So as we know, the only thing that's going to stop this in America, I mean, if we can stop it because the, they, we didn't do the tests and we can't do the authoritarian approach that went on in China with Wuhan and that province of 60 million people, we're just would never be able to do it. And we have 50 diff different states, 50 states with all different governors and state legislatures and different decisions at different times. The only thing is to test as many people, even though the test itself may be unreliable and you might, people might have to get tested more than once. This is another catch 22. You know, people think, well, you see all the long lines, you know, uh, somebody thinks they've got this thing and they want to get tested. So they go through a drive-in or they go wherever it is to their doctor, desperate for a test. And I do feel for all those people, but here's the problem. So let's say, you know, five days, you know, like suddenly you get um, these feelings, you know, you have a dry cough or whatever it is, you start getting alarmed. First of all, you don't know necessarily 100% how long ago you got it. So let's just say it was in your system and building up for five days. Now it comes out. You go get a test. The test is negative. You can't just dance around and think that you're fine because if the thing incubates for 14 days or longer, you're going to have to get another test because a lot of people wind up getting tested and they're negative, but then they test positive. We even have in China recently, people were, what was happening was people were, were tested negative, then they tested positive then they tested negative, they keep changing. And again, there may be more than one strain of this virus. And because it is a, as they would say, a, a novel or new coronavirus, we don't have the antibodies. They are thinking of this whole approach that happened literally 100 years ago. It's, as you may have heard, 
convalescent plasma. So if you get people who have had, who get it, right? If anybody becomes positive, but let's say they're healthy enough and then they, they don't succumb to it and they come out of it, those people then have antibodies and then you can extract through plasma their antibodies. So this was work before in other of these, uh, it worked literally a hundred years ago. I think this is when they first came up with it during uh, when I, I think I said smallpox, but what I meant was the Spanish flu from a hundred years ago. So I think it, uh, Governor Cuomo was talking about this maybe a week ago, he was touting, I remember, I don't watch every one of his, but I watched this particular one and he was bringing up the term convalescent plasma. Being the son of a doctor, and as I said earlier, having to be at the ICU in a dreadful way uh, with my beloved um, for five different times over 40 days and going back and forth with ambulances and ER, um, the thing is, when I start hearing about these different, whether it's cures or medicines or different things, and then being the son of a doctor, so hearing convalescent plasma, I, I, my ears pricked up and I wanted to hear what he had to say, and it was pretty fascinating. So that's one of the ways that this could work out. It doesn't cure, like you can't, it, in order to get convalescent plasma, you have to hook somebody up and get their plasma and then be able to give that to people who are suffering to moderate their symptoms. It isn't a cure, but it can moderate. So there are all these different things that are happening on that score. Let's see with our time. Well, I think um, these have been about two hours. I have so many more post-it notes, but I'm gonna get through these as many as I can here. So um, let me just do this. By the way, today, something very alarming happened. The Department of Justice, you may have, this again is in the last couple of days and it came up again today. Uh, I wrote down very alarming, particularly with Mars going right into Aquarius. Remember the zero Aquarius where Mars and Saturn meet tomorrow, which is March 31. This is the sun degree for the, uh, President Trump and Vice President Pence from their last inauguration. Every president since Roosevelt's second term, uh, every single president gets inaugurated on January 20th. And on that day, every four years, the sun is at zero Aquarius. So zero Aquarius is the beginning of Aquarius, and it's it's not really the beginning of the new age, even though there's going to be 180 years approximately, well into the 22nd century of Jupiter and Saturn conjunctions in air signs, Aquarius, Gemini, and Libra. They'll keep going back and forth through those signs most of the time. So it's not necessarily the beginning of the Aquarian age for various reasons, because that has to do with what's called precession of the equinox, and we're moving from the Piscean age to the Aquarian age, and through the constellations, it's another whole thing, the, the connection between sidereal or constellational astrology that's used a lot in the, the East, particularly in India, versus what we call the Western astrology that we use here uh, in the United States and in Europe in particular. So our astrology is the tropical zodiac, the first day of spring, 12 equal signs. It's a different, the, the same names and so on. But the beginning of the Aquarian age is not on a day, it's not on a week, it's not on a year. It's not even on a decade. It's a series of decades, if not maybe several hundred years of the transition from one constellation, which has been the last 2000 years approximately of Pisces, and moving into the next one. So while Jupiter and Saturn hitting zero Aquarius does energize the sign Aquarius, it doesn't necessarily give birth to the Aquarian age, but probably within the 180 year cycle, this is all part of the shift, which takes a long time. 
from all the qualities and the cultures and the themes, many of which have been very, very ugly and bad, having to do with religion and fanaticism and wars and all kinds of things. Not that Pisces is bad as a constellation. It's a particular 2000 year cycle or what's considered 2160 years, if we're more precise, having to do with precession of the equinox. So we are having a sort of shift into Aquarius, but it's a different Aquarius than, shall we say, the Aquarian age. Nevertheless, Attorney General Bill Barr is wanting to do the following. Basically, it's what, ha it's what Abraham Lincoln did during the Civil War, which is from the Bill of Rights to suspend habeas corpus. In other words, if things get bad enough and there isn't a time limit for what he's looking to do and get passed possibly by Congress, that the Department of Justice, meaning the court system, it could be in your local town or somewhere, a relative that you know, somebody does something or doesn't do something, but it, but a police officer or somebody thinks that they did a bad thing, they could be thrown into jail and not be able to have a, um, the right to a quick trial, which is part of the Bill of Rights. So it was dis, uh, uh, suspended. It's, it's basically habeas corpus, which has to do with a kind of Latin name having to do with your own body, that just who you are, you have the right as a person to have a quick and fair trial and you can't be just held in a prison somewhere, which again happens in third world countries or countries ruled by the military. So there's a very dangerous thing. You need to be considering this thing and it's all related to Mars and Saturn coming together. By the way, the irony of this thing is that William Barr was supposed to appear at the at the uh, Judiciary Committee for the House of Representatives tomorrow. This was already planned months ago, and now he won't have to appear. Or he said he's, you know, they said, well, he's not going to appear because the, con the, the nobody's getting together because he can't all be in a meeting because you got to be six feet apart and you got to shelter in place. And even we know that some of the Congress people and senators are beginning to come down with this. So God knows where we're going to go with the conventions and. Uh, primaries and so on. These are being delayed. And I'll talk about that another time. So at least I was able to bring this out. This is a very dangerous thing. I don't think it has a name, but what it is, is the Justice Department under William Barr is considering fundamentally over or suspending habeas corpus, which was suspended by Abraham Lincoln uh, during the Civil War. Okay, how many more of these going to... Uh, I'm going to hold off on the, the one I was going to do for another time. It has to do with nodes. It's not the mean node, true node thing. It's much more elaborate than that. I'm just going to keep going. I need to get done with these. I'm laughing because there's so many of these notes. And each one is like a little gem or jewel of, of, of sadness or frustration here. So, um, okay, I'm going to go these as fast as I can. Um, Russia is closing down airports. India just initiated this thing. The whole country of over a billion people. They came to it late. South Africa came to it late. They're shutting down. Boris Johnson, prime minister of, of uh, England, the United Kingdom, is has tested positive. He's sheltering in place. Prince Charles is, is has it, and we don't know his condition. I mean, some of you know about these things, but just the fact that, again, the pandemic, one other thing about what's happening in England which is something I firmly feel is true. In the last 24 hours, there was an article through the smart news that the British government is furious. That's the word, furious with the Chinese government for the, what they did in releasing the pandemic by, not, by being authoritarian, by not communicating what was going on, because that's the nature of their initial thing of what they did 
as far back as late November, patient zero or patient zeros in China are not at the end of December like we thought. It's not in January. It goes all the way back to late November and early December. So what was happening was all kinds of weeks were going on. And I shared this before. It has to do with the feudal nature, the kind of agricultural na uh, nature of China as a historical entity, not as a fledgling capitalist country, the engine of the world, everything made in China. And that's why they're after two months of the lockdown, Xi, the president, has said, we've got to get this country back to work, so we're going to send everybody back into the factories. But the problem is right now, even though their, their statistics are skewed, the British government in this article thinks that it may be the statistics are 40 times. This is from the article. Now, they said it could be between 15 and 40 in the, in the main part of the article. 50, that, in other words, there's 40 times more deaths. There's 40 times more people who tested positive. So that's what the British government is saying today or in the last 24 hours. So they might have some extra information. Maybe it's a little bit of an exaggeration, but it's exactly the kind of thing that that is is a real detriment to solving all of this because they could also reinfect their whole pop population. Now what they did, like Trump did for us, uh, Xi has locked, has said we. He, first of all, he's kicked out a lot of our people in our government, just uh, and our reporters, because he doesn't want Western reporters from the United States and Europe to be getting access to information because he's basically coming down like a sledgehammer in an authoritarian way. And they're creating an image of China. Oh, we're getting back to work. We're solving all this stuff. We didn't have any cases the last several days. So I don't use foul words, but this is a BS thing. That's what it is. And it's the same thing It was happening in Russia. But now you see Putin had to lock down his country because things are getting out of hand. And it's not impossible that there would be a, a revolution in both of those countries. If this thing keeps going on, it's possible because there have been a lot of demonstrations against Putin. And he wanted recently and he had to stop this. He wanted his parliament to rubber stamp him being president until 2036. And that is not fake news. But he stopped doing that because of the coronavirus. He was literally about to do this. And that was only like 10 days ago. He was he wanted it came in several different articles from several different sources that he was going to present to parliament. He can do it anyway because he's pretty much a dictator. But he wanted to make it official that he would be president because it's against their constitution for the next 16 years. That's what he wanted to do. Now he's had to lock down the country or he's, he's in the process of locking it down. It's not impossible based on the charts for Russia, which the, the chart for Russia goes back to 1991. They're going through a Saturn return and with all those Capricornian planets. So they're on the edge. And China, whose chart I gave out for October 1 of 1949, their natal chart and the transits to their natal chart, um, this is when Mao, People's Republic of China, came into being. They had Chinese astrologers. The chart is valid. It's been used for, what, 70 years, since 1949. So I've studied it a long time. So have professional astrologers. You do secondary progressions to that chart, it's very scary. So there's a little bit of that. Now, here's another big thing. In where I live is the Willamette Valley. The supposed name Willamette in Oregon means sickness, valley of sickness. There's lots of pollen here. There's lots of allergies. 
when I was a kid and into my 20s and 30s, I suffered from that. Red eyes, irritations, you know, wheezing and sneezing. We're about to hit that, not just here. When I grew up in New York, I had allergies there. There are many places in the United States where people have to deal with the pollen. Now, it just was determined recently in the last week or two that, as many of you know, some of the symptoms are not just a dry cough and a fever, because that's the way it was presented for a long time. But they were saying, wait a minute, sometimes if you lose your sense of smell and your sense of taste, that might mean the coronavirus is acting in your system. So that's been passing around, whether true or not. It probably is true. It's been reported in many different places. But then came the le- a week ago or so. And if your eyes are red, what we might call ch- conjunctivitis, not that it would be the same thing. About a week ago or 10 days ago, I was doing a lot of work here. And I woke up one morning and um, one of my eyes was very irritated. So... I don't know. I don't think I had heard about it then, but literally the next day I heard about like this could be a a signal. But I went literally to get I use a lot of eye drops anyway for various reasons. My my eyes get kind of dry. So I use a lot of regular um, non-preservative eye drops. I've been using them just because of where we live out in this area. And they help my eyes a whole lot because I do a lot of paperwork and, and reading and studying with these different charts and taking glasses on and off. Well, at any rate, I bought one of those, you know how you can get in the in the uh, pharmacy to get the red out. Just simply get um, eye drops that have more medicine in them or more of an astringent, whatever is in there. I don't normally use that and I don't recommend people to get those, um, get the red out, but I got it and it made the red go away. So I knew that, uh, I mean, and, and fortunately, fingers crossed, knock on wood, it hasn't come back. So I knew it was eye strain for me and, and I was didn't sleep enough and so on. That's what caused um, part of my eye in the corner to get red. And after a few drops of this over like a day and a half, my eye, my eye cleared up. And I also stopped studying and reading for a couple of days and just resting my eyes. But in other people, what's going to happen with allergies? What is going to happen in this country with people calling their doctors? Um, or going to professionals, if their eyes are irritated and they don't know 100%, is it the pollen count? Or is it coronavirus? Or is it conjunctivitis? So, you know, people come out with these articles saying, hey, if your eyes are red, that could be another thing that you have the coronavirus. But it could also be as we get into allergy season, this could be a real disaster for the medical profession, for people calling and it just, I just was thinking about it recently. So I haven't heard people talk about the allergy thing, but we there are a lot of people who suffer from that. And even for myself, I've had, again, a history um, dealing with asthma in my 30s from having walking pneumonia. So even though I don't normally get allergies, I'm going to need to be careful about pollen. And at the very least, people are going to have to look at the pollen counts. Because we're all hoping we can get out, it'll be sunny, the, the warmer weather may make this thing go, go away. That's what the president was trying to say. The experts, all these different people um, you know, that are standing up with the president, they're, they're saying, well, the, the warmer weather may help and you know, we may be able to um, you know, get something positive to happen. But even if that happens, it, all, this coronavirus is gonna be with us. We're not gonna get a vaccine or a cure. Till sometime next year. By the way, as one other reminder, which I said last time, 
we already knew as professional astrologers, and I've been beating the drum that the United States is going to have three Pluto returns in 2022. Pluto has never come back. And this has a lot, this would have, even without this, we would have had a kind of death and rebirth, a uh, extreme transformation. We didn't know how it was going to happen. Anyone who had been studying the U.S. chart and looking at mundane or Earth astrology. So that's still on the books. 2022, Pluto comes back to the U.S. Pluto in the second house of money in Capricorn, having to do with the economy. And now we see this. So this is why to think that we're just going to get back to work and everything's going to be hunky-dory. Uh, President Trump, Vice President Pence, and the medical authorities don't know astrology, mundane astrology, like the mundane astrologers do. We're going to have whoever is elected in the next one in 2021, whether it's Trump and Pence, if he's if they're still there, you know, and they're healthy, or Biden, or whoever it's going to be, whatever is going to happen with the next inauguration. Before we even get to 2022, Neptune in the sky in Pisces, and by the way, Neptune in Pisces has a lot to do with why those two ships just went to New York City. Um, the comfort with the thousand um, beds and surgical facilities and the mercy, they're the big white ships with the Red Cross and one's in Los Angeles there, already got there. And then the one arrived in New York today, Mon Monday, um, March 30th. And it was interesting and also kind of upsetting on Brian Williams tonight. He showed scenes of people congregating to watch the arrival of the ship, getting too close within less than six feet in some cases because they wanted to see the ship arriving because the president had gone down to Norfolk and was saying this big 70 ton ship is going to do all these different things. And some of his vice said, you know, Mr. President, we don't really, it's not the greatest thing to fly you from the White House where you should be staying six feet apart from people. Even today, at one point, he almost shook hands with somebody, uh, the guy from My Pillow. That the, if you see the My Pillow guy, he came up and gave a little speech, uh, touting Trump, you know, God bless America, and all these other things, which is fine. But basically, it was almost like an infomercial for his own business, or at least part of that. So, at any rate, um, the ships are coming, um, but. Neptune is going to go opposite its own position in 2021 three times, then Pluto returns to its own position, and then in 2026, we're going to have Uranus come back in the, in the U.S. chart, which it does every 84 years in Gemini. So we already knew that from 2021, regardless of a coronavirus, regardless of who would be president politically, Pluto, Neptune, and Uranus would be making severe aspects relative to the United States birth chart from 1776. That's part of the reason I wanted to include the discovery chart of Uranus um, in this particular um, session here. Before I forget, in case I don't get to the podcast, which apparently I'm not going to do because I can't make this three hours, I, I'm wanting to do this in two hours plus, and I think we're getting close to a point where it's pretty long or will be the longest one. I'm including the chart for the start of the New York subway system. I studied this a long time ago. The reason I did this was a couple of days ago. I'm assuming, having been a New Yorker the first 25 years of my life and having taken the subway, I lived in Queens. I had different jobs. I go on the subway. Uh, there's several million people generally per day who go on the subway. I assumed that they would have closed the subway down days ago. And apparently it's still running even now. Because a lot of people, that's the only way they can go from Queens to Manhattan. Manhattan's the hub in New York. And 
you can't go from Staten Island. You have to take the Staten Island Ferry. You probably heard about that. But if you're a New Yorker, you know that there isn't a subway going to Staten Island. And from Staten Island to Manhattan, you take the ferry. But the other the other four boroughs, okay, excuse me, the other three boroughs, Bronx, Queens, and Brooklyn, which have millions of people, the subway going into Manhattan, which is the usual kind of thing during the day. Now, some people would drive into Manhattan on what's called the Long Island Expressway or come in from New Jersey through the different tunnels or the George Washington Bridge, if you know New York. So generally, five days a week, you get all this, buses are coming in, some people are driving, but that's very expensive. And if you have more money, you know, you can do it in parking lot and this and that, but it's very expensive. Those are the people who didn't want to be on the subway. And the underground New York subway is no delight, okay? Part of the reason I left New York and never wanted to live there for the rest of my life. But I have relatives there, okay, in New York and New Jersey. So I know how it works. But I was shocked. <laughs> it makes me think of Casablanca at the end with uh, Paul Muni and Humphrey Bogart, <laughs> that line, I'm shocked, I'm shocked that there's gambling in this establishment. Uh, one of the great movies, Casablanca. So at any rate, I was shocked. Not as much as in that line in the movie, but I was shocked like three days ago and I'm reading this article and, some, and the article says, well, we're, I think it was actually Governor Cuomo. We're not planning on closing down the <laughs> New York subway. And I'm thinking, what? That hasn't been closed down already? I mean, where we are in Oregon, it's like, you know, got to stay six feet apart. You can't go in a grocery store. You basically have to stay at home, particularly with family and grandkids. You never know. People could be asymptomatic. A delivery person could have something. You wouldn't know it. So this is how we're looking at it. And particularly the West, Western states look different and feel different and much bigger states than East Coast states. Uh, New York City is a small area. I mean, New York State is a big state. But, but Massachusetts relative to, say, Oregon or Washington or Montana or um, Utah or New Mexico, but certainly California, some of these states are tiny, like Rhode Island is tiny. Delaware is tiny. Now, Pennsylvania is big, but then these cities, Philadelphia and Trenton and New York City and Boston, Massachusetts and so on, in that area, Washington, D.C., you have these small areas and you, and the other thing that's different, not that there aren't apartment buildings in Los Angeles and San Francisco and bigger cities and in Seattle or in Portland out here in Oregon, or even in Eugene, greater Eugene. Um, of course, there, there are people who are living in apartment buildings, but New York City is giant part apartment buildings all over the place. And the subways, how are you going to keep people, you know, really apart? And are people going to observe those? And what will be the health of those people? And how do you disinfect seats and handrails and, and turnstiles and do that? And are they wearing masks or are they not wearing masks? So it, it, unless somebody tells me otherwise, unless I hear about it, I, I assume I'm going to hear soon. And they finally closed the New York subway system. So I understand maybe in theory, because essential workers and so on having to do things and they had to do that so other post-it notes here uh, the big deal about april 1st uh, stephanie rule who who's on uh, msnbc she came over from cnbc is more of an economic reporter and she's talked tonight and said one of the big problems is the government or the president has initiated with a lot of fanfare the $2 trillion and people get certain people getting $1,200 and $500 if you got kids, and these checks will be coming fairly soon. However, April 1st, which is two days from now, 
the first of a month is often when rent is due for a lot of people and they don't have the checks they don't have the money so everything is going to be dependent as she was saying on trust and goodwill of landlords and mortgage companies and so on and so forth but here's the problem if if they don't initiate if, if these companies don't get through to you by letter or email to say hey don't worry you don't have to pay your rent we're not going to kick you out even though that's what has been said in public oh you know that's part of the whole big care deal this whole uh two trillion dollar thing including a lot of money for the federal reserve but part of it is to protect people from getting kicked out or being evicted and making sure their electricity stays on they still have water flowing and so on and so forth of course nothing nobody's helping the homeless so that's out of it we don't hear people in washington dc or the president or vice president talking about the homeless it's still family values helping children helping workers unemployment insurance we're going to get if you if you owe money on a mortgage maybe you can get it delayed you won't have to pay rent for a while you can get you know uh, delays on credit card payments and automobile payments and advertising as you you may be seeing as i see you know now car companies and uh, other companies are all talking about, we know we're all in this together and you see all this stuff. I even saw a commercial from one of the car companies saying something like, buy a new whatever it was, Ford or a Subaru or whatever, and their policy is so generous, like no interest for so many months. And then in like three or four months, you know, from this point, assuming that's some kind of key date, then you'll have to start paying. But we you know like, buy a new car, spend tens of thousands of dollars or whatever it is, sign a contract. And we're going to give you all these, all these really nice deals at the moment, because whatever we're all going through, this is not realistic. It doesn't make any sense. Uh, okay. So the question is what's going to happen. I'm doing this on March 30th. It's already now early March 31st. What's going to happen on April one. The, the problem that we're all going to have, this has already been encountered of being on a phone, um, waiting to talk to potentially a real person or to get through to somebody about a delay of a payment or of concern. I need to adjust something because I don't have the money yet. I need to wait a couple of weeks until my check arrives. And this even happened with somebody recently. Uh, I mean, it happened myself. I called a particular company, I won't say which it was, uh, because I was wanting to adjust one of the bills that I have to pay. And they said the wait will be approximately six minutes. After six minutes, it was then 12 minutes. Then it was 20 minutes. Then it's 26 minutes. And then I hung up because I had to go somewhere. And I never, I haven't called them back since. And if that was going on a week ago, what will be the delays? What will be the anger? What will be the frustration of people trying to call mortgage companies, credit card companies, insurance companies? on and on and on with these weird time limits. So, you know, the Secretary of the Treasury says, and we're going to get them out. The, tr the checks will be out. Well, how many people have moved since their tax returns and now have moved and they're trying to get through to the Treasury Department or people who are on Social Security and people who are, get direct deposits? They're saying, well, if you have a direct deposit and we, you know, you, you, you gave in a tax return and you did this and you did that, then the, then the money will just come in. Well, how many people... For instance, a bank that we had here was just bought out by another bank in the last year and a half. It's a completely different name bank. There's a different routing number. I mean, these things happen. And sometimes banks go out of business or people have changed their accounts from what they had before and they need to call into the Treasury Department or Social Security or the IRS or wherever it is. And they're going to be waiting for hours and hours, potentially. 
that's assuming there's going to be a real person and that their staffs are not going to be 20% at home because of sickness. So that's another one about, uh, in my notes here, police departments, fire departments, ambulance services, everybody's affected and a lot of people are at home um, either, you know, because they think they're sick, delivery people, truckers, you know, um, Amazon and Instacart in the last, I think today, workers were going on strike due to various things that they were feeling were negative about the businesses of Amazon and, and Instacart. Okay, so some of these are, I found another note about Brian Williams. I don't have to tell you about that. That's fine. Um, again, the uh, the Uranus discovery chart is a big deal. And so that's presented this time. The, at least I talked about the USA subway system. It's an amazing chart. And there's all these different energies in it. Um, and I, I'll probably have to talk about it again another time. But in looking over that chart, it's impossible for me to think uh, it's a chart where the sun is in Scorpio and there's so many other things. And, and being in the subway can be a terrifying kind of a thing. It just seems to me that this should have been closed, um, and but it isn't. So I can't even believe that that's happening. We'll probably look at that chart again another time in the future. But the Uranus discovery chart, the key thing there, and I will talk about it more in the future. The reason I'm including that is I have a, a bigger overarching concept about discovery of all the planets because... What I realized in astrology, everything is like when you're born, that's your key chart. When you get married, that's the marriage chart at that moment of time. And there is a marriage chart. Or when you start a job, that's the chart. The, the sort of clock is ticking at that point. And what I realized in looking at these three discovery charts of Sedna, Eris, and Chiron, I've studied the Uranus discovery chart, and I've actually articulated some amazing things about it in other podcasts. And you're welcome to go through the other podcasts and find my mentions. But... Um, the point was is that we know pretty much close to the exact time, or it was definitely in the evening, that Sir William Herschel in Bath, England, discovered Uranus and all the things that came after that, which were astounding, and all the principles of Uranus, uh, one of which is the lightning bolt. Um, so many others have to do with intuition and radical change and revolution and uh, breakthroughs in higher consciousness and Uranus has a lot to do with the entertainment industry. It has a lot to do with radio, has a lot to do with uranium and radioactivity and so many other things. And it's also a, a planet negatively that has a lot to do with anxiety and nerve, the nerve, nervous system. Um, and it also has a lot to do is, with um, going against, so to speak, the themes of Saturn. So Saturn has a lot to do with hard work and responsibility and being focused and grounded and responsible also having to do with fear when it's negative or being pessimistic or being depressed if Saturn is negative. But Uranus, when it was discovered, basically shattered the entire whole concept of fixed stars and that Saturn was the outermost planet. Suddenly we realized there was a whole other world out there. And so Uranus is the beginning of all the other discoveries. So in many ways, it's not just the discovery of Uranus in that chart, it's the birthing of all other discoveries. So we will explore this in a future podcast, and there's a lot I can say about it. If other astrologers want to take the ball and run with it, so, so be it. But I'm letting that information come out now because it's important that there are a lot of things in the discovery of Uranus chart. Um, because again, we it's been tested, we've looked at it, and many of the planetary positions in that chart, if you go around... And that's why I put it in there. I'll just give you a little sampling as long as I brought it up so I don't leave you hanging here. 
in that chart, for instance, the, the, the Uranus position itself, 24 plus of Gemini, where Uranus was, that is the same Uranus when Israel came into being. So in the Israel chart for that country, if you do a chart for May 14, 1948, when the state of Israel came into being, you'll see that Uranus basically came back to its discovery position. That's part of the reason why there's all the shock and trauma and all these wars with Iraq, with, with Israel and the rivalries between Israel and Egypt and Israel and Syria and Israel and Iran and so on, because there's this Uranian lightning bolt and things often get you know askew and off kilter, uh, which are also words for Uranus, or things um, go topsy-turvy and things go upside down and things go against the grain. We know that Uranus as a planet is tilted on its side and has all these unusual physical qualities as well. And there's all these moons around Uranus, people forget about that, uh, and rings around Uranus, uh, and, and so on. So at any rate, without getting into it too much, but there are positions throughout the whole chart that are unbelievable that I've studied, and I will talk more about it. The position of Mercury at 11 of Aries is significant. The Sun position at 23 of Pisces for the discovery of Uranus. The Pluto position at six of Aquarius in the discovery of Uranus chart winds up being Mercury in the chart of, of George Washington. Um, Mars is opposite Uranus in the discovery of Uranus chart, and that opposition or polarity is part of the reason that Uranus itself is not always a positive or easygoing influence, even though it's kind of a intuitive, intuitive energy, it's a higher mind energy, it has a lot to do with electronics, the online world, and robotics, and so many different things. At the same time, there's all this explosiveness and volatility having to do with this planet, partly because the traditional planet of war, not the, not the Eris energy, the sister of Mars, but Mars itself being very close to an opposition within less than one degree. And that's meaningful, but the, all around the chart, by the way, what people don't realize, or some people who are not astrologers don't realize, I should say, is that the discovery charts of Uranus, Neptune, and Pluto, all three of them have this moon in Scorpio, which is interesting. Because Scorpio, which is, by the way, the sun energy, um, the reason I wanted to talk a little bit about Chiron is what's extraordinary with Chiron is there's a sun-Uranus conjunction at 9 and 11 of Scorpio in that chart. And nine of Scorpio is the moon position when President Trump and Vice President Pence took the oath of office. So in 2017, so there's a direct correlation between the discovery of Chiron's sun, its life force of discovering Chiron, and it being on the moon position, which is kind of the mass consciousness of the four-year cycle of Trump and Pence in office. That's why we're in a twilight zone not just now, because everything is kind of weird and strange and we're not in chronological time. As I said, the last time when President Kennedy was assassinated, Chiron was stationary. When the Archduke Franz Ferdinand um, was assassinated, the heir to the Austro-Hungarian throne on June 28, 1914, he was assassinated, Chiron was not moving. And a month later, we had World War One. When Pearl Harbor happened, within a couple of days of that time, Chiron was stationary. When we, when we first landed on the moon with actual individuals, Chiron was stationary. By the way, stations are not, even though in the cosmic calendar that I do, and I recommend everybody to, to subscribe to that if you can, because it's the sky cycles, and each one of us, every chart, your chart, my chart, all your loved ones' charts, at the moment that you were born, 
your cycles were, were the cosmic calendar of that day and that time. So people don't often realize that this cosmic calendar that people can subscribe to, you can get it three to four weeks at a time if you're actually a subscriber. We're coming out with an app which will have one day of the cosmic calendar at any given time. That will be more complimentary. But for people who want to look three weeks in the future, four weeks in the future, that that's what we've been doing for decades with the cosmic calendar. But people often do, will not realize, oh, hey, all I need to know is my transits and my progressions and my chart. Why would I need your cosmic calendar? Because there are things that happen in the sky, the new moons, the full moons, the daily alignments that also happened when you were born. And so there's another whole astrology of what's happening every day in the sky that if you become a better astrologer, you need to understand that. Whether the you'll know when the moon is coming back by looking at the cosmic calendar or the moon will be going through different signs every two and a half days. Well, the moon is very vital to know. And if you have the cosmic calendar, you know where all the moon changes and all the moon alignments and all the moon conjunctions to the major planets every month. And often the trines and the squares and the moon is often a catalyst that makes so many things happen, plus all the other alignments. So it's always unfortunate when some people that I've done like a consultation for, maybe a report, but they don't sign up to get the cosmic calendar. They don't think it's necessary. Well, I'm not touting it because it's mine from an ego standpoint. It's just that this is something that's really important for people who are wanting to learn astrology. You need to know what's in the sky independent of your own transits, your own progressions, your own natal chart, or your astrological chart as it changes when you move from one place to another or you're traveling and that's a whole other field, or compatibility analysis, or a marriage chart, or the first day of work. So there are charts that people use to compare to the natal, but the ongoing changes every 24 hours, hour after hour in your location, or what's in the sky every day, people need to study that. So there's a little promotion. I hate to do those things, but I'm not very good at it, and I don't like to do it. It's not in my nature. But uh, at this point, everyone needs to really get into the groove here, and it's a perfect time to learn astrology through the School of Planetary Studies if you ever ever wanted to study it, because it's not just me. It's learning from many different astrologers, people who are great astrologers in those lessons, or uh, get into the cosmic calendar. And when the app, if you sign up on Great Bear Enterprises just to be get our newsletter or just to get information, um, if you get our mailings, which happen usually every week, there's the global hotspot of the new and the full moons, and that's free. We're going to have, uh, there's Astro News Flashes, there's the Earth Aquarius News section where the Eris um, on Sedna article is placed. So there are all these different kinds of things that that you can study. But at any rate, in the discovery of Chiron chart, that hits, um, the, that sun in that chart is actually with Uranus. And the, the other weird thing about discovery of Uranus chart, back in 1781, we didn't, we didn't discover Chiron until 1977. But lo and behold, in 1781, Chiron itself in the Uranus discovery chart was at its exact degree where it would be at its discovery in 1977. Now that can't be coincidence. So if you look in the discovery of Uranus chart, you look in the sixth house, you'll see the K with the little circle, which is the symbol of Chiron. You'll see it's at O3 of Taurus. And if you go to the Chiron discovery chart, while the sun is in Scorpio with Uranus, there's a whole cluster there 
in the upper left part of the chart. But then if you go toward the bottom of the Chiron discovery chart, by itself, retrograde is Chiron, the K with the circle. Where is it? Three plus a Taurus. What are the odds that from 1781 at the discovery of Uranus to 1977 when astronomers finally find Chiron, see, they didn't find it for what? Uh, 19, 119, 196 years went by. From the discovery of Uranus to the discovery of Chiron, 196 years went by. Chiron has a cycle of about 50 years. So almost four cycles of Chiron go by. We finally discover it in November of 1977. And where is it? Exactly where it was when Uranus was discovered, and we didn't know that that happened. The other thing that's astounding with the discovery of Uranus chart that I realized recently, and I had never made the distinction because I was never studying the progressions as I've been doing them with the secondary progress chart of the United States. I looked at the discovery of Uranus chart recently, a couple of weeks ago or a month or two ago, and I'm looking at it and I see Pallas Athena, who I did all those podcasts on, the first 17 podcasts and more. And I'm looking at it and I see Pallas Athena is at 26 plus degrees of Aquarius when Uranus was discovered. And Uranus was discovered March 13 of 1781, which was four plus years from July 4th of 1776. Okay, so the so the, from the Declaration of Independence, remember all the things we learned as kids, Washington crossing the Delaware, the winter of Valley Forge, all these different battles, all these different troop movements, the suffering that went on with American colonies, the disappointments on and on, the losses, the gains, you know, John Paul Jones, <laughs> Paul Revere, all the different people, all part of the American Revolution, the things that happened before 1776, but in those four and a half years, or four and two-thirds years, Pallas Athena, which was undiscovered, see, it wasn't discovered until 1802, but now we know where it was on July 4th, 1776, and it's conjunct the moon. So the moon in the U.S. chart is at 26 plus of Aquarius, and it's conjunct Pallas Athena. Well, four and a half years later, Uranus is discovered and Pallas has gone all the way and made one full orbit of about four plus years and come back to his exact position when the United States was born. So here we have Chiron coming back 196 years later after four cycles around the Zodiac to the same exact degree where it was when Uranus was discovered, but four and a half years after the Declaration of Independence started America as a country, Pallas Athena, four and a half years later, four plus years later, comes back, not approximately, not just in Aquarius, not a degree away, not two degrees, right at the same spot where it was when the Declaration of Independence. So there's there's mother, other things, but that's the magic of the discovery of Uranus chart. So I came up with a term for these kind of things, and I call it, it's like PhD. I'm calling it the, I don't even know if I have it. So I will try and find that in the next couple of moments because I wrote it down. Uh, at any rate, it's a uh, philosophy uh, hypothesis of discovery mapping, PhD, something along those lines. I have a code for it and I've lost that piece of paper for the time being. So you're going to have to wait. So let's see, um, these other charts. What's interesting in the Eris chart, for January 5 of 2005 is there's moon with Ceres if you look in the seventh house of the Eris chart. So remember Eris is what I'm saying has to do with war, particularly the concept of this war against the invisible enemy. 
moon 10 plus a scorpio well where do we see that again that's the moon that's the moon position within one degree for the trump in uh 2017 inaugural and it's conjunct series the largest asteroid and series as a reminder is the only stationary body the largest asteroid when america was born are being the melting pot of the world the breadbasket of the world you know cornfields and wheat fields and uh, all the different things, but all the different ethnic groups and religious groups, races, political groups, and so on, which is part of the experiment of America, all relates a lot to Ceres. So the moon is with Ceres. In fact, they're in a trine, a, a favorable link at the discovery of Eris to the United States Ceres, which is in Pisces. A number of the other positions here are remarkable. Discovery of Ceres has Jupiter at 17 plus of Libra. It, you'll see it in the seventh house. That's... President Trump's natal Jupiter, the same degree. So again, he's experiencing Eris on Sedna. He has Jupiter stationary when he's born. You can go back into my other podcasts and stories about his powerful Jupiter for good or for ill. And here we find that on January 5, 2005, well before Trump was even considering something, or he might have been considering it back 20 years ago, but it never amounted to anything of, a, of an idea to run for president. And Eris is discovered with the same exact Jupiter at the same exact degree of President Trump. So that's why I'm saying these charts are pretty unbelievable. Even the discovery of your of your uh, Eris in the you'll see the sun is in Capricorn. And again, we've had all these conjunctions in Capricorn and you'll see Chiron at 25 of Capricorn, the K with the little circle in the discovery of Eris chart. And that's where Pluto is now. That's where Saturn and Pluto just came together. That's where Jupiter and Pallas and Pluto in a triple conjunction this week are all located on the Chiron position of the discovery of, of Eris chart. So again, there are other positions um, throughout these charts that are all valuable. And part of the reason I'm bringing this up, here's another one. Mars is going to transit and station this fall at 28 of Aries. Well, that's the North Node, the fate point of the discovery of Eris chart. So that's another whole thing that's going on where we have a planet of traditional war, Mars, going on the north node of the discovery of Eris chart during the election time, when we're at least supposed to have an election, and when the coronavirus could come out big again, hopefully we'll have more of these antibodies and more of the tests being done, we'll know more about it, and hopefully it won't wreak havoc throughout our culture. In the, in the discovery of Sedna chart, again, the key note there I'm talking about frozen, it's interesting, here we have another scorpionic energy, just like in the Chiron chart, we have Sun, we have Pallas, Uranus, Mercury, and Ceres. They're all in Scorpio. And there are other positions in the discovery of Chiron chart that are valuable and important, including a Moon-Jupiter conjunction, where Jupiter in the discovery of Chiron chart is conjunct the natal Jupiter for the United States. And the rising degree in the discovery of Chiron chart is the galactic center, late Sagittarius. So those are all important if one starts studying discovery of Chiron chart, and a lot of the people like Zane Stein, Barbara Hanclow, and so many others, they've studied these charts and they've written all about it. So this is just another interpretation at this point, because I'm, I feel it has very much to do with the twilight zone. And the next new moon on, uh, the, the last new moon we just had was conjunct Chiron in Aries. And the next one on Earth Day on uh, April 22nd is going to be conjunct the discovery position at three plus a Taurus. That's part of the reason I have the discovery of Chiron involved with all this. Any rate, over to that Sedna chart, you'll see the sun in Scorpio in the 12th house of that chart. Remember the concept that I'm bringing up is frozen. 
the idea of being frozen. Well, Scorpio, the second water sign, is the fixed water sign. And one of the themes of Scorpio is ice and freezing where water has become congealed and so on. You'll also see an enormous number of planetary energies in the first house in the Sedna chart in Sagittarius, Mercury, Juno, uh, Vesta, Venus, Pluto, they're all in Sagittarius. Th those are That's a whole clustering energy, which is very interesting. The United States birth horizon, which we've used here at Woken on Planet Earth and Great Bear for decades, not every astrologer uses it, but we use um, around seven degrees, seven plus degrees of Sagittarius. So an enormous number of clustering of energies in the discovery of Sedna chart are surrounding the horizon of the New York chart, uh, not New York, sorry, the United States chart in the first house of that of that chart from the Sedna position. There is a nice trine going on between the moon and the sun in from Cancer to Scorpio in the Sedna chart. Remember, there are a lot of positive qualities to these goddesses of Sedna and Aries. And I do believe that part of the negativity in the mythology has to do with kind of the male chauvinist energies that have gone on for so many millennia. One other thing in the uh, discovery of Sedna chart, very interesting, you'll see Saturn over a 1250 plus of Cancer in the eighth house. And the eighth house also has a connotation of freezing because it's the traditional uh, archetypal uh, house related to Scorpio. Anything that represents the eighth sign or the eighth house has a Scorpio affiliation. So part of the frozen energy with Sedna is not only the sun and Scorpio in the 12th house, Scorpio rising, uh, but Saturn is a 12 plus a Cancer and that's the sun degree for the United States. And Saturn is also squaring from this chart its natal position in Libra in the United States chart. So there's a lot of conflicting energies. You'll also see Saturn opposite Chiron in the Sedna chart within two degrees. Mars is actually making a trine uh, to the Saturn there, which is interesting because tomorrow we're having a Mars-Saturn conjunction. Nevertheless, there are already many people who have been studying this. I think I mentioned last time there's a website. I don't know the woman's name. I'm sorry about that, but it's called Dark Star Astrology. And that's where I actually got the exact times she had already done the work on these discovery charts. So it's a place called Dark Star Astrology. So for more information, you're welcome to go there. So we've done a whole lot, and this is a pretty close to three hours. I've got a lot more, and I'm, this will have to be um, number seven. This this number six, we've been able to do a whole lot here, and um, I'm excited for people to go and go to lucistrust.org, um, learn more about Findhorn, watch people like Brian Williams not have a closed mind about what's going on on M MSNBC, um, to to I guess what I want to say is, at heart, I'm a reporter, I'm a journalist myself. So it upsets me very much when I hear, and it could have been any president, but it just happens to be this one and his staff, the whole thing of creating alternate facts. There, there are truths, there are statistics. Now, again, statistics can be fudged, just like I'm saying now. You know, are the numbers from China? Are the numbers from Russia? Are our own numbers meaningful? And a lot of them are not. So, on the other hand, when you have things, for instance, like a president or a vice president saying A, B, and C, and everybody heard it and it's recorded, you can't go back and say, I didn't say it, because we can all go back to the recording and see it. So um, one of the problems that keeps happening with 
the president versus the media, particularly the more people on CNN or reporters, which happened just today with Jim Acosta, who's one of the reporters for CNN that the president doesn't like, but he, he called on him anyway. And as an example, Jim Acosta read from notes saying, Mr. President, on March this and that, you said this, it would go away quickly, the temperature would be rising. And instead of the president, again, like I said, saying, well, you know, I'm sorry I said that, and we make mistakes, and I wish I hadn't said it or something. And again, that only took me a couple of seconds. You can say it in a way where you actually get a lot of support. Um, not yet, You don't have to start crying and give a full-fledged apology and say, I've messed everything up. But for some reason, he doesn't have the capacity to do it. He's never really had the capacity to do it. He just can't accept losing. It's all, everything has to be winning, which is why he's creating a lot of errors and mistakes with these different dates. Like, we'll all go, wouldn't it be great if we all can go back to church, to churches and fill them up on April 12th? And by the way, that's another thing I will talk about, not just Easter. By the way, I might as well mention it. In the Earth Aquarius News section, right behind the second story after the Eris on Sedna, uh, on President Trump's uh, inauguration, I did put forward, um, when he said that about Easter, I had already written my cosmic calendar entries for April 12th, Sunday, April 12th. I'd already written those back in a couple of weeks ago. And so we put an article in there. It's it's under Astroflash. And it gives the entries. So it's free if you go on the website to see Sunday, April 12th, Easter Sunday, and the following day, those two entries are in there. And I give a little bit of a uh, intro about it. But basically, those days are very difficult because the sun will actually be conjunct Eris. And I've never given that out before in any of the cosmic calendars in other years, even though I've known about um, Eris for like 15 years now or 14 years. But finally, I decided I saw that on April 12th. And again, I, I wrote all this before he mentioned anything about Easter Sunday and going back to churches. And I'd already written that there would be a real challenge on Easter Sunday because the sun and, and Eris will make their annual conjunction and it will linger into early Monday, the day after Easter. So when I went back and saw what I wrote, I put it on as an as an astro flash so that everybody could look at it. And we also put it on very often a lot of what we have, we put on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram as little notations. Often those are for astro flash or global hotspot or even for the podcast. You can often, if you're on Facebook or Twitter, uh, look for those and it might have the word Great Bear. It might have global hotspot. It might say astro flash. It might say uh, Mark Lerner Astrology uh, Astroscope or whatever. And those all refer back to the Great Bear Enterprises website. So there's a lot more coming down the pike. I got through about half of my post-it notes, a little bit more than half, not too bad actually, but there's going to be a big thing about nodes, not about mean node versus true node, but something much, much more profound. At any rate, I did the job I wanted to do, even though this is very long, of getting in a little deeper about discovery of Chiron, discovery of Sedna, discovery of, of Eris, and now giving you the the key, the kind of open door to all different discoveries for many astrologers now to use is start looking at discovery of Uranus be above and beyond the meaning of Uranus and to look at some of these positions connected up in mundane astrology to the foundation of like when Israel came into being or the how we see that Chiron came back after 196 years so that when it was discovered, 
on November 1 of 1977, it had actually been in that same spot when Uranus was discovered. Or the same thing with Pallas having returned from the Declaration of Independence to the discovery of Uranus. What I'm basically saying is the planets are much more powerful. We have people on Earth who discover Eris and discover Sedna and discover Chiron, and they're often given accolades. Or again, Sir William Herschel with Uranus, the discoverers of Neptune. A comet Clyde Tombaugh with, with Pluto, discovered in Flagstaff. I've, I will share more about all these other discovery charts of Neptune and Pluto at other times. I'm sure I will, because we're going through Neptune opposite our own Neptune. That only happens every 80, well, actually, it only happens every 164 years. It doesn't happen all that often that we get powerful Neptune alignments for the United States. And we also, it's very rare because we've never had Pluto return. By the way, again, we just had a Saturn-Pluto conjunction. That last happened in the sky 38 years ago in 1982. The same year, by the way, that Jane Fonda came, came out with that workout. That was in Libra, and maybe that's part of it, the workout relationship, in particular for women who wanted to do the workout at home, Jane Fonda being you know, a stellar actress and a major figure in our society. Um, I didn't realize that she had done 22 of them over 13 years. That's pretty astounding. So shows how behind the times I, I am about the Jane Fonda workout. I just know that it popped up in my mind. And that's part of all of this as we're all sheltering in place. People are not going to be able to go to the gyms, at least for a while. So, you know, dig out either. You probably can't use the VHS because we all have DVD or something else, but it's probably on YouTube or whatever it is or maybe it's on people's iPhones or on iPads or whatever it is, and, and people can use the Jane Fonda workout. So on that more sporty note, more entertainment note, I am going to end. Thank you very, very much for being patient with me. Um, I guess I'm going to have to do one more with the rest of the post-it notes, not take any more post-it notes, not do that anymore because it's too frazzled and so on. But we've been able to share a lot this time. And thank you again for your patience. And I know some of this may seem somewhat disorganized, but it's a sort of positive disorganization. And I feel good about what we've presented this time and in the previous five. Thank you very much. Lots of love and blessings, particularly healing blessings to all of you, wherever you may be, and for all your loved ones and friends around the planet. Bye for now. Mm -hmm.